What's happening, weirdos? This uh, this is an, uh, an incredible episode. I'm so glad you're here. When uh, Rich Roll had uh, Rabbi Finley on his podcast, they called the episode The Black Belt Rabbi. And that is that would be a good name if it wasn't already taken. Because what's going on here? This is one of the most interesting people I've ever talked to. It's fascinating. It's captivating. It's it's strange. It's surprising. And I'm so glad you're here. It's uh, it's one of those episodes that I told Val. I was like, you're going to have to listen to this one. It is uh, really interesting. And I'm so glad you guys are here, uh, all of you, to check it out. Thanks for listening. Um, for everything Rabbi Finley, because I, I have a feeling if you listen to this, you're going to be interested in more. Go to RabbiFinley.com. He mentions he teaches some classes uh, that we've been checking out. Incredible. Just everything. Everything that he's got going on is at RabbiFinley.com. As for me, please watch my please watch my special. <laughs> it's on uh, Netflix.com, as my mom calls it. And uh, it's called I Am Not For Everyone. I'm also uh, DC sold out. Thanks, everybody. That's incredible. I'm looking forward to those shows. We also have the Brea Improv here in California. And some other dates, uh, Chicago comes to mind. They're all at PeteHolmes.com. Hope to see you out there. It's a new hour, not the one that's on Netflix, but the one that will be on after that one. So I hope you guys can make it out. means a lot. Not a lot to plug up top. Uh, we uh, I just checked out my own hair. It's looking nice. For those of you watching it on the video, it's looking nice. Thanks. Thanks, Modern Mammals. Uh, but our friends at Living Libations are the wonderful sponsor of this podcast. You guys know this. I talk about Living Libations all the time. We did a complete overhaul of our skincare, teeth, hair, nails, baby care. What is it? Living Libations is basically a high-end, meaning super high-quality, very, very effective, but natural skin, hair, body, beauty, teeth, baby products. And I, for years, was being so careful about what I put in my body, but I wasn't being careful about what I put on my body, and that makes no sense. What you put on your body ends up in your body, in your system, and it's made by faceless corporations that, that just don't care about you or your health or the toxicity of the stuff that you're putting on your skin or in your mouth or wherever you're putting it. So this is a great way to support not only your body, but also the show. I should have said not only the show, but also your body, meaning... They have big things. They have little things. If you want to uh, show some support, show some love uh, to the show, go to livinglibations.com slash weird. You'll get 15% off everything you see there. I love their shaving cream. I love their uh, aftershave. I use their actually the Zen shaving cream as my aftershave, which is awesome. I love their exfoliant. I love their best skin ever moisturizer. Gives you like a radiating glow. But the best part is you read the ingredients and you recognize them as real and natural, but it's powerful, it's effective, and it works better than the random chemical nightmares they sell at 7-Eleven. So do something good for your body, look good, feel good, support the show, livinglibations.com slash weird. All right, everybody. I'm not for everybody on Netflix. PeteHolmes.com for tour dates. RabbiFinley.com for everything related to the uh, man you're about to enjoy. Get into it. You need these hot takes on your beverages. Okay. What's the official beverage of Judaism? Because there, is there isn't one. No. They all have one. No. Christianity's wine. Uh, that's from, that's, sac- that's more of a sacrament. I'm calling it the official b- beverage. You can. I. You're damn right. I can. You know. You know. It used to be. Uh, <laughs> give us this day our daily beer. Do you know that? No. Yeah. And it was a psychedelic beer. No, it's just regular beer. Give us this day our daily well, beer. Well, let's get the immortality key down. Okay. And, you know uh, how they change it. 
Wait, wait. Oh, so it wasn't bread. It was beer. Right. Is this real? No. It's a joke. <laughs> then the bread company came in with a better offer. You are... I underestimated you. And I apologize. Okay. <laughs> I forget who said the... I think it was Ramdas who talked about the official beverage. He didn't call it the official beverage. But, uh, you know, Hinduism would be milk. Mm-hmm. Islam, I think, is coffee. Okay. Buddhism would be tea. Christianity's red wine. Judaism. Well, I mean, if you look at that carefully. I mean, if that's the. No, no, go I mean, ahead. Listen, it's not Islam, it's the Middle East where they first began to drink coffee. Sure. So if you were Christian, Jewish, or Muslim, you drink, you know, you drink coffee. Yeah. I would say tea is uh, subcontinent India uh, and, and, the, and the. That's fair. Yeah. So Christianity inherits from Judaism sacramental wine. Yeah. And you have sacramental wine in Judaism. But I don't think Jews are big wine drinkers, from what I know. Right, yeah. And that one's taken. Well, it doesn't really matter. We don't, we don't really think that way. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah. That's very silly. You know, they got the cross. and That's so simple, you actually can't outdo a cross, right? Cross is a... I mean, start, can you imagine a Star of David everywhere? It's, it's like, very hard to do. Yeah. They, they, that's, it's got a 70s chest hair connotation. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's very simple, two pieces of wood. It's like... <laughs> Isn't the Star of David... Like a, a sacred geometry. There's something kind of... No, no, it's all fab- made up. That's all made up? Yeah. No, I mean, someone made it up. It's not sacred geometry. Right. But I mean, are we sure about that? Yeah. Okay. No, don't, I'm, in addition to being a rabbi, I have a doctorate in religion, social ethics, and I'm a historian and a scholar. So okay, so you are sure Usually when I say things, I've looked it up. <laughs> no, not always. And if I'm not sure... I like it. I will say I'm not sure. Well, I'll tell you where my... Uh, resistance to that idea came up is okay. is whenever I'm in a temple, whenever mm-hmm. I'm in a, mm-hmm. a, a cathedral, mm-hmm. I look around and I see a lot of the shapes mm-hmm. that we see when we, we, you can close your eyes and rub your eyes really hard. You don't have to be on a psychedelic, mm-hmm. but these images that are associated with visions, mm-hmm. stuff like mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. which is really a trip. Like mm-hmm. I, the first time I, pun intended, mm-hmm. first time I took mushrooms and I saw Kind of like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what I would consider to be sacred geometry, mm-hmm. this kind of language of creation. Mm-hmm. And then I went to a cathedral. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, they were, they knew what they were doing. And that's why I was kind of saying, like, even if someone made it up, couldn't they have been dipping into that? Well, look, when you look at the, the, the um, architecture of churches, it is very well planned out that a, uh, a church, a cathedral especially, is sacred geometry. It's very overt from the, from the designs from the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, now, the ancient temple in Jerusalem definitely was sacred geometry. Yeah. Uh, the predecessor, the uh, tabernacle in the desert, clearly sacred geometry. Mm. But there's no evidence of a six-pointed star being involved in any of it. So the question is, <laughs> you don't see it in any iconography, you don't see it in any synagogues. Where yeah. does the six-pointed star be- make its first appearance as official, an official Jewish uh, shape? Yeah. That's the question. Right. And, and me saying it could be something someone saw in a vision is sort of moot. Because you could see anything. Well, we, we basically know the people who made it up, and they didn't talk about a vision. Right. Well, now we're getting into something that I think is pretty interesting, is what okay. is making it up name. Yeah, someone designed it. Yeah, but I mean, like, you like this sort of stuff, collective mm-hmm. unconscious, like it was there. Well, there is a thing called Magen David, meaning the shield of David. Mm. Uh, I don't think we have Kochav David, the star of David. I don't, I don't recall that occurring anywhere. But mm. clearly, the Zionist movement needed a symbol. Yeah. And... There are probably some background somewhere, but it was more or less the Zionist movement needs a symbol. We need a yeah. flag. Yeah. And that was that was decided upon. So it might have some roots somewhere in Jewish history, nothing dominant that anybody else would notice it. Right. 
And where's the sacramental wine in Judaism? Shabbat for the for the Sabbath. Oh, okay. The, the bless yeah. the blessings for the Sabbath. That makes sense. I knew that. No, yeah. I feel yeah. like I, I knew that. There's only one holiday where we don't have a, a blessing over the wine. Which one? I want you to guess. Uh, Rosh Hashanah. No, we have a blessing over the wine. Aren't you fasting? You don't want wine when that's you're Yom fasting. Kippur. Yom Kippur. There you go. Is you that it. what it was? Yeah. Very good. That's what I was trying to think yeah. of the fasting one, yeah. and I blew it. Yeah. Because you don't want to drink wine when you're fasting. You're not allowed to. You're also not allowed to. Yeah. But that's very. So they, they those come together. Not allowed to. Not wanting to. Because. Right, which is very <laughs> Jewish, if I may. What's that? Meaning, like when you look back at some of the 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 uh, Levitical kind of mm-hmm. ideas, mm-hmm. like don't eat shellfish for example the laws of uh, kosher yeah and then modern science kind of catches up and goes like these things are feeding on the bottom feeders <laughs> which is which is probably the reason right uh you know uh pork for them was probably wild boar uh-huh uh shellfish were bottom feeders so probably what was wrong? wild boar is they eat garbage eat garbage yeah so the laws of kashrut uh, you can't eat vultures you can't eat birds that eat carrion so there really was a disgust at animals that eat uh, excrement and you know dead animals yeah. that clearly is a part of the 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 uh, the laws of kosher are not only found in Leviticus but we can call them Levitical laws if you mean laws of uh, purity and uh, ritual as opposed to the moral laws right yeah yeah and that is what I meant okay you're very good sure yeah, yeah I've been teaching this a long time <laughs> I believe it yeah. I can feel it yeah I had a friend come to see me do stand up recently and I have a joke about. Uh, and it is just a joke. I was like, why do we eat pigs, but we don't eat dogs? No. And I go, I think it's hooves. Ah. And I was like, yeah. hooves are the hooves. evil feet. And, hooves and are the I, evil feet. And she said, after the show, she, she Jewish woman, she goes, it's very Levitical. <laughs> I was it like, is. I've never because, had a joke Because it's the, it's the split hoof. It, for for yeah. an animal to be kosher, it has to have a split hoof and chew the cud. Ah, I forgot. Which I didn't is, know what she meant. Yeah, yeah which is trying to... Um, set up a, a taxonomy, you know, which basically farm animals and, yeah. and animals you can tame. Yeah. So they looked at all the animals that, are, that you could tame and would be on your farm and those that you would not tame and be on your farm. And they came down to what they had in common was split hoof and, and, and chew the cud. Okay. Yeah. Have you seen but, that? I believe it's in um, Chinese medicine. They're like, if it stands on one foot, like a plant, mm-hmm. it's like eat it all the time. Mm-hmm. Two feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, chicken, mm-hmm. they're like, eat it some of the time. Mm-hmm. Four feet. Like, they did it by feet, huh, which I thought it. was very interesting. Where do storks fit in? Storks, you can... Flamingos. Strangely, you can make out with a stork. Yeah. But you can't eat it. <laughs> you, so, what? So um, just like making out. Yeah, yeah. You know, my wife bosses me around a lot. Uh-huh. And I used to do this flamingo in, in, uh, um, imitation. She told me to knock it off, and I finally had to put my foot down. That time I knew you were doing a joke. That's not bad, right? It's very That's good. It's not too bad. We're getting... Will you speak a little to comedy? Yeah, sure. It's so funny. Obviously, I work in comedy. Yeah. So I, I work with a lot of Jewish writers, producers, yeah. directors. Yeah. Obviously, there's a, a cultural scope that we can't mm-hmm. speak to. But mm-hmm. you personally, when it comes to helping people, which at the end of the day, being a spiritual teacher mm-hmm. is, I think, guiding... Mm-hmm. Helping? Uh, in my counseling practice, yes. Counseling? And, and, my, and in my teaching. A lot of it is about, um, you know, my niche is wisdom and inner transformation. Okay. And of course, all the regular things rabbis do for counseling, bereavement, et cetera. But that's the main part of my teaching. And wouldn't wisdom be helpful? Yeah, I think it's the most important thing a human, human being can learn. Any yeah. human being on the face of the planet needs wisdom. And one right. reason people suffer is because they don't have wisdom. Right. So that's, I've taken that on as my, the main thing that I teach. 
Well, let's do a wisdom question, and sure. then I'll ask you no about problem. helping people. Okay. But I was just... Are we rolling? Oh, we've been rolling this oh, great, whole man. time. Outstanding. Man. Okay. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. All I good. I didn't mean it to be such no, a... No, no. I'm wondering. I, just want to, I want you to miss all those great jokes that I'm telling. Buddy, <laughs> that's the correct feeling. <laughs> right. I don't want it to go to waste. Yeah, yeah. Here's a wisdom question. Okay. I, I was listening to... Obviously, it's such a heavy time right now. Mm-hmm. And thank you for taking time sure, to be with me sure. mm-hmm. while all our hearts are so heavy. Yeah. And I listened, you know, Eckhart Tolle, you know Eckhart Tolle, I'm mm-hmm. assuming. Mm-hmm. He gave a talk on 9-11, like mm-hmm. on the day, mm-hmm. and he didn't cancel it. Mm-hmm. It's this very interesting talk. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a B-side. Mm-hmm. You have to mm-hmm. be a big fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but he gave a talk, and everyone was like, he's going to cancel. It's mm-hmm. 9-11. Mm-hmm. And he, he did it. It's mm-hmm. called The Sun Will Also Die. Mm-hmm. And he talks in it about wisdom. He talks mm-hmm. about collective insanity being sort of a reflection of our personal insanity, all this stuff. It's, mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. possibly summarize mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But he does talk about wisdom, and, and this may be why this is my wisdom question, mm-hmm. is he's sort of like, the ego is always saying we can add something. Mm-hmm. We can like gain practice, and, mm-hmm. and it puts enlightenment or conversion or, or whatever mm-hmm. word you'd like in the future, and mm-hmm. it becomes another problem. I mm-hmm. am not wise. I mm-hmm. am not mm-hmm. holy, or whatever word. Mm-hmm. And this is my question for you. It's like, does wisdom take away <laughs> or does it add? Well, it's like mathematics. Does mathematics take away or add? Are you doing addition or subtraction? Sure. Okay. But then what the question is, I'll tell you what the wisdom does. Some adds. Correct. I guess what I'm saying is, is the ultimate... Here's, here's another way to maybe frame that mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. Is in Judaism is the goal to self-realize. Uh, it, Judaism does not contain that language. But yeah. remember, self-realization is a relatively modern term. So yeah. if, you, by being, if we mean by that self-awareness, mean, meaning aware, being aware of how your inner life functions minimally, the consequences of your behavior, the notion that many of the things we do don't feel like choices, but they are. I mean, there's a whole list of things to be mm-hmm. self-aware. Self-realization has to do with more living out my potential. In, 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 no, in, in just in, in humanistic psychology. Okay. Human realization is part of the self, is the human potential movement. That's interesting. That is not how I use it. Right. So self-realized, which means yeah. my potential has become real. Yeah. Okay. So you have self-actualization, self-realization. These are all terms that more or less came out of the, <clears throat> the German humanists and then they're, they're those who followed them. Okay. And to know what it means, you have to look at who's saying it and in what context. Um, so if a person says, I want to f- fulfill my potential, I said, well, which potentials are we talking about? Because not all of them, right? right? And we all have the pen- potential to be very stupid, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so whenever a person says self-realization or self-actualization, my tendency is always to come up with very precise language. Because language mediates between the conscious and the unconscious, and words are, are, are there to help us understand ourselves in reality. So the more precise we can use language, the wiser we become. Interesting. What language would you use for how I mean self-realized? I don't know. I have to know what you mean by it, what your goal is, what your, I mean, how you're using it, and why you're using it, and what you hope to get out of it. I mean it in the term of realizing that you are not the content of your life situation, you're the presence witnessing it. It's funny. The inter- I don't, I'm not sure what that means. Really? Um, 
the I am, the awareness that you are? When you say I, what do you mean? It depends on where I am and what I'm doing. If right now I am here talking to you, being present to you. But when you have a thought or a feeling, what is it that's, that's seeing that? Uh, okay, so the, uh, the awareness of self. It takes a little bit of effort to go to a state of consciousness where you're aware of the self. Yeah. And it's speaking, feeling, thinking. I call that the, uh, the observer mind. So when I think about human consciousness, we have an observer mind. We have an objective mind, which means I can evaluate if the way I'm observing actually accords with reality. Mm. We have a rational mind, whether uh, the way I'm dealing with the world is it rooted in facts, as well as we can determine facts and good theories. Uh, we have a truth mind that aims at the, at the deep truth of the matter. You go beyond that, we have the love mind, the beauty mind, the justice mind, the God mind. So when I think about higher consciousness, I think about 10, ten levels of high, higher consciousness. Uh, it's just descriptive. It's just my, my work and work with other people. Yeah. Um, people says, well, something beyond that. Yeah, divine consciousness. Um, you know, you, can you obliterate the sense of self? Sure, it's called meditation. So I'm always interested in, do, is a person asking me for my knowledge base? Mm. Have I figured enough things out? Or are they, are they asking me for a guide for a human experience? Mm. So I don't mind asking knowledge questions, but I get tired of them after a while. Okay. I would rather have a question that someone's going to do something with. I, mean, I don't mind teaching knowledge. Sure. But ultimately, if I'm teaching a class on consciousness and a person says, oh, well, what about this and what about that? I'll say, okay, so let's do five minutes of, you know, general religious spiritual theory on things and my take on it. And now let's get down to my class, which is human transformation. Mm. To what end, though? I think there's, you know, it's interesting coming from the Jewish tradition, I thought you might appreciate. I do a lot of death work in my dreams mm -hmm. and last night i had a dream where i was talking to a very angry man mm -hmm. and i was trying to calm him down mm -hmm. and i was like i feel like of course he's me mm -hmm. <laughs> and i'm like i feel like your anger is coming from this despondency this feeling that like there's this inevitable final note we die mm -hmm. So while I'm all about optimizing the human experience, this is the same thing I would ask Dr. Huberman or any of these social scientists, Tony Robbins, like, yeah, let's find communication strategies and let's look at the sun and let's do cold exposure and let's eat protein or whatever it is. But I think there's something underneath that. The reason why I'm going, and I started right by going to the observer mind and self-realization is I'm like, to what end are we optimizing and realizing potential and all that because the day you die is just going to be today it will always be today it'll always be Correct. now and your life will always have just been yeah, yeah the yeah. snap of a finger mm -hmm. so i understand that there's reducing suffering with and i'm about that yeah we can have that conversation mm -hmm. i'm just curious about the underlying why of of that see i i don't like to talk in generalities because i don't speak for all humanity so whenever anybody says, Judaism says, Americans believe, we haven't polled everybody. Yeah. So if you were to ask me what's the point of something, I can give you my point of view rooted in, let's say, my understanding of Jewish and religious sources, and I'm going to try to come up with a something of a synthetic view that doesn't leave most of it out. Is that, is that yeah, a fair yeah, way to Yeah, yeah, I'm just it? talking to you. Yeah, okay, got it. So, but I'm not speaking for anything but me and what I've studied. There you go. So would you say, what does Judaism teach? I'll try to do that for you. You say, what do I personally believe in my yeah, personal practice? We can all put that aside and say, let's just talk to you more. Okay, so, so give, give me your precise question to me. What is the meaning of life? <laughs> okay, 
Well, the meaning of life comes down to, number one, do, you, do your duty as you understand it at that moment. Doing your duty. Doing your duty. That's, that's, that's level one. So what's interesting about that, what I hear when you say that is that the love of God is determined by whether or not I do or don't do my duty? Yeah, but I didn't say that. All I said is, if you ask me what the meaning of life is. I see. I have four levels. Number one is, we, we, are, we have spiritual and moral duties. Okay, tell me that. Like, like a spiritual duty? Sure. To create well-being within. Okay. A, a moral duty to create well-being as much as possible with other people. Okay. Okay, so I have to... I have a duty to create well-being uh, physically, mentally, morally, spiritually. So I have a list of duties to myself and to other people. Don't cause other people harm. Benefit them when possible. Um, respect the person and property of other people. Uh, I think I have a duty toward insight to myself, insight to you, insight to what's happening in this room. So I have a whole list of duties that at any given moment, when I'm not sure what to do, examine myself, examine my environment, and ask myself what my duty is at that moment. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. That's one, one part of the meaning of life is understanding what your duty is and doing it as well as you can. Yeah, very okay. cool. Okay. The next one is find happiness, well-being. We should enjoy life. We should enjoy, we should enjoy our, our, our own lives, lives with other people. We should create as much joy and happiness as we can in general. Mm. So I think we have a duty to maximize uh, authentic happiness. Um, I think we have a duty uh, to be resilient because life can sometimes be overwhelming and difficult and grievous and bad and people get depressed, people get overwhelmed, they get kind of, they, they, life just empties out. And I've met people like that and they say to me, well, why should I be happy and look what's happening in my life and you're saying I should do this and you're saying I should get out of it and I say, well, yeah, I think you have a primary duty to be resilient when life, when, when your option is despair. Mm. They say, well, prove it. I said, it, it, it's a duty, you don't have to agree with me. Mm. But for me, it's a duty. It's a priori. I can't empirically prove it, but you ask, people ask me. And then with a consciousness that everything matters and everything makes a difference. Sometimes the very smallest things matter, and sometimes the very smallest things make a difference. So always be you know, kind of aware where you are, attuned to where you are, um, adaptive, accountable, but always look for things that because of the way consciousness is driven by being attuned to one thing or another that you might miss something crucial. Mm. So we, in martial arts, we call it 360 awareness. So even as I am attuned to something, which is a good thing, I should cultivate a kind of moral and spiritual 360 awareness. Mm. So for me, that's how I, that's the meaning of my life, how I create meaning in life. And every, everything comes after that, which means my life is constructed from that, and then everything comes next. That reminds me of, of the story of... Uh... Uh, it's one of those monk stories. There's a monk and his teacher, and his teacher came up to him while the student was walking in the garden, and he hit him with a stick. <laughs> he was like, "What was that?" And he's just like, Jesus says something similar. He's like, "Wait for God, like you wait for a burglar to come into your house," mm -hmm. and that is like a a vigilance that you just reminded me of. Yeah. So in in Jewish spiritual psychology, it, it's something called zihirut, which means ongoing awareness. Mm. So yeah. So as I'm sitting talking to you. Okay. I also have a sense of every now and then take a breath and have 360 awareness. Yeah. Where I am, what's going on? Yeah. Right? What's the quickest way out of here? Yeah. What can I kill somebody with? You know, <laughs> what do you those, got? Huh? I mean, well, you got some nice things right over here in front of me that I could just hit somebody with. 
These tripods. Yeah, that's a place to start. Those are hollow boned. Yeah, I don't okay. know. Well, you, can poke, you can poke somebody with it. I believe you could. Yeah, no, it's funny. Dane Cook has a funny bit about that where he's like, uh, I believe it was after 9 11. I think that's important context. He's like, We're all scared on airplanes. And when I'm on an airplane now, I'm like, Something goes down, I'll break the CD in half and I'll have two knives. And I was like, That's pretty good creative thinking. Yeah, it's, it, you know, when, when you work in martial arts a long time and you realize that in any second, your life or the life of another innocent, a loved one, could be in danger. Yeah. And ideally, don't be uh, surprised into inaction more than a second. Surprised into inaction. Like so fr- to, freeze, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you train yourself to respond. Mm. Okay, so that's what a lot of martial arts is. Stimulus provides immediate response. Wow, to get that sort of pause away. Yeah. Not only God might be knocking, right? The devil might be knocking. Yeah. Anybody could be knocking. Yeah. So that so that's when I talk about being, you know, having awareness. Now sometimes we go into fugue states, we daydream, you know, we and that's ex, that's part of human consciousness, and that's how we enjoy our lives and work things out. But there's a part of a person that should be relatively aware of what's going on around them, mm. in addition to whatever else is going on. Mm. Um. So um, yeah, I think you know. Part of martial arts is being, you know, 360 awareness, including if I had, if I had to defend, if, if, if I had a role in defending this room at this moment, yeah, what would I do? Right. I have to be, I walk into a room, that's one thing I think of, I get out of my car, I think about it. Have you been a- attacked? Uh, when I was, yeah, yeah, I grew up in Compton, you know that. So I, oh, you did? <laughs> yeah, so oh, I didn't know that. I, I have a whole history of that. So that, is that what got you interested in martial arts? Um, just about positive. Just about positive? Yeah. What I mean, that? not everybody's martial arts. Oh, just in, about positive. You're yeah, just I'm, about positive. I'm nearly positive. Yeah, but I don't want to <laughs> claim to complete self-understanding. Nobody understands himself completely, right? I feel like I, you're on the stand or something. <laughs> I'm like, I, you can't hold me to that. I can't. Well, say because that it was people because then raise their hand. You see, I'm a, I'm a lifelong teacher, and I say something, and people raise their hand. And do you know the 15 chambers of the unconscious? I say, fine. I'm reasonably sure that's why Sounds I, like, do what like I do it. You can't say this, but I can say this. Sounds like some of your students are assholes. <laughs> Well, they're not my students, but they're assholes. They attend my classes, which is a far different thing than being my student. Uh, and who's who's coming to these classes? Not students. Uh, when I would just you know teach a class, yeah, 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 anybody yeah. could sign up for my class. Yeah, I see. And then I have what I call my students, which are people who are studying with me one way or another and staying in the program. I understand. And some of them are assholes. some of them. None of mine. No, they can't be my student of mine. What do you? They can attend my class. Yeah, the the people who some of the people who attend your class. Yeah, are not are not nice people. Thank you. Anybody Sustained. Take, so anybody I take on as a student is by definition at least respectful of other people. They're okay. not all nice people. Uh, yes. Like I'm not a nice person, but I'm respectful of people. Right. I'm going to just real quick get my sure. next question to you notarized. Okay. Katie, would you... <laughs> well, how does martial arts and, and your... How does it how, how does it benefit your life? I, I have a feeling there's a rich appreciation of it. You're a black belt. Correct. And I'm wondering... Other than self-defense, has it just kind of filled your life with a direction? Like it feels like a... I mean, the direction of I love doing it. I love training. I love the club. I love the guys. Uh, for me, it's somebody else doing dance or doing music. It's my dance, right. music, camaraderie. Yeah. So I, I love every part of it. But that 360 awareness, doesn't that not only protect you, but also imbue you with a appreciation for the present moment? Well, I would say yes, 
except I also have that from my spiritual study. So there are many people who cultivate a spiritual 360 awareness and are not martial artists. Yeah. And many martial artists have 360 self-defense awareness, but they don't have a 360 right. spiritual awareness. But they inform so, each other. Yeah, I, in my case, they would certainly inform each other. Yeah. And when you do a contemplative walk or whatever mm-hmm. uh, you call it, just a thought, a mindful walk, do you feel that, hey, since I've been doing I know you've been doing it a long time, but that your martial arts training is sort of informing that? Well, uh, that's an interesting question. If I'm going to be involved in anything spiritual and spiritual, I would probably, I'd rather be sitting mm. because, because I live in a neighborhood with a lot of automobiles and pedestrians and dogs. Mm. And I've actually almost walked into people. So, <laughs> and they've almost walked into me. So, Because you're kind of in a state? Exactly. So I yeah. prefer to be I, would be, I would focus when I walk or run, I'd rather be in an awareness that I'm on the street. There are cars, there are people, yeah. there are dogs. I would rather be aware of my surroundings. Now, I'm also aware of the sunrise and the flowers and the beauty. Yeah. But not to the point that I'll run into somebody else and knock them down. Right. And that, that's just common sense right of course yeah have you had transcendent experiences i'm assuming i would say many yes yeah what is what's one that comes to mind that kind of got you hooked well the i mean the most frequent is when i do a meditative practice Um, the dominant meditative contemplative practice i have is is what in judaism is called the practice of holy words Mm. so you meditate on a word that that has a holy resonance and you hold it in consciousness and you get everything out except the holy word um, it's as if the holy word has its own gravity and it roots itself into the unconscious ego self and drills down into the realm of the soul. And there's a dialogue that goes on between the soul and consciousness through the through the um, the medium of the holy word. Mm. And sometimes it'll be a holy phrase. Um, I love studying poetry, for example. Mm. So I would call those in- intentionally created experiences where I transcend day-to-day consciousness, if, right. if that's what your question is. It reminds me of the the monkey mind idea that it's like you have a monkey in your brain and then you give him a pile of buttons and you say, move these buttons from this side to this side. And the button might be the word. Yeah, that is a, um, not exactly. There is a technique to uh, give consciousness a, a, a hook, mm. like, a, like a behind the door to put the jacket on yeah. while you're moving into the state mm. for people who can't control the, the, the monkey mind. Mm-hmm. So you give it something to think about. Well, this is more than that, and this is assume you've actually been able to tame the monkey for a while now. Mm. So you don't have you don't have the problem with the monkey mind as soon as you decide not to. As soon as I say I'm going to do my holy word practice, the monkey the monkey just gets quiet and just stands in the corner because you've done it enough. Because I've been doing it for my mo- most of my adult life. Yeah. 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 I guess we could say that pathway has been grooved. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You, got, you got to train the monkey. Once the monkey's trained, you just keep the monkey trained. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I, if I were your monkey, I'd be terrified. Yeah, no, I, no my my monkey's scared of me. I, I will say. Let me ask it's your icy you. Ed Harris you. face. Yeah, he's terrified. Yeah, I, no. just, I just I just asked him. He goes, "Yeah, I'm not I'm not messing with you, man. I'm just like I'm trying to stay out of your way." I said, "Okay, just stay right there." I'm but talking. that's the thing I, I'm picking up is you, you seem very disciplined and and like and uh, proactive. Uh, uh, definitely proactive, as disciplined as I can be. And remember, there's always something in you that does not want to be disciplined, which yeah. is why we call it discipline, right? Right, right. Yeah. I remember I watched, I think it was Paul Rudd talked about how he got his Ant-Man body and he t- said his uh, trainer was just like, you'll never want to do it. And the whole secret is just do it anyway. Is it, that is discipline. Do what you don't want to do. 
<laughs> and I know, even as you say it, I'm like, it's so obvious. Yeah. But I, my monkey, it might be just more persuasive. Maybe I'm just, I don't know. I, I need to build that muscle even more. Yeah, there are ways to deal with it because um, in Judaism, it's called the Yetzer Hara. Yetzer means shape or form. It's come to mean urge, but that's not what it means. It means a shape or form. The word Ra means evil or destructive. So it's as if the unconscious ego self has a destructive shape. There's Part of the puzzle is destructive. It, want, it wants to undo... Well, we both love uh, Stephen Pressfield, exactly. the, the resistance. That's how he I met, because I was calling it Yetzirah. I read his book, and I was giving a talk on this, and, some, and I mentioned his book. And someone told him, so he started taking my class. Oh, wow. And um, so then I read his book, and we became friends. We're still friends. And yeah. yeah, exactly. He's wonderful. Yeah. But he also, na- see, there's a benefit, I think. Eckhart Tolle sometimes asks children, my daughter had a tantrum yesterday at the zoo, and one of the things Eckhart Tolle says is like, after they're calm, you can go, does it have a shape? Like mm-hmm. that feeling is, can you paint it? Mm-hmm. Can exactly. you talk about it? Yeah. And there is something about depersonalizing and detaching. And when I read Stephen's book, which I've read many times, but it was like, I find a lot of value in going, there it is, mm-hmm. resistance. Or Correct. the, say it again, the... Yetzer. Yetzer. Hara. Hara. Yeah. So the Yetzer Hara, or the resistance, mm-hmm. or the pain body, or whatever it is, this... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's think of it as a quasi-external intelligence that does not share your vision for yourself and will work actively against it. Wow. Hardcore. Yeah, it is. It's always at work, and it doesn't want you to be fulfilled. And Stephen Pressfield would say that like this leads to pain, in circumstantial pain. It can lead to disease. It's just like a stuck, blocked... It, 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 it can. Um his book is more about procrastination and avoidance of your work. Yeah. Um, however, um, if if you don't fight with it, and it's not morbid, which means it won't just have you sit on the couch and eat fast food every day. A person can get through their whole life not you know just go to work, um, get the job done if it if if it comes natural to them. Be an okay parent as long as they're not verbally or physically abusive. Be an okay life partner and just get through this thing and, and die because they're not working on anything. Right. Now, the minute you begin to work on something, and then you hit something that's not easy. Okay, so that's the part. Some things come natural to people. Yeah. And then you actually have to have to um, bring it up to a level of not just talent, but skill. Mm. So then you run into resistance. And this, is what, by the way, is what we see in jiu-jitsu. Um, there are people who come in that are natural athletes. They're fast. They're strong. They're, they're just good with their hands, with their body, their mobility. So they move up pretty quick. They get to the the blue belt level, which means you've mastered the basics, hmm. and then getting from blue to purple is where most people drop. Really? Because no one gets to purple belt intuitively. You just have to train, and you have to get rid of some really bad habits. It's the just do it part. It's the do it and train hard. This is very similar yeah. to comedy, believe it or not. Uh, I, I'm I, not an athlete, but there's a... I mean, I'll put this to you and see what okay. this makes you think okay. of. Sometimes people say to me, they go, you know, I did stand up eight years ago and I've really been wanting to get back into it and I'm always like just don't it, yeah, like it, it didn't just get don't. you it didn't it grab just, it you didn't and grab that's you. okay yeah yeah but like I think you're conflating like stand-up with success or fame or money no. and I'm like that's actually not what it is no, it's, it's a profound skill I love stand-up oh you do oh I love stand-up. oh that's I, great you're good oh way. I appreciate let's, it let's get that thank on the record. you very much thank you very much but I I have my my favorites and I watch their shows 
my, my few favorites, I probably watch their shows at least 20 times. Really? Yeah. And I'm watching everything they do. Wow. Who's a fave? Right now, Bill Burr. Yeah. I love Bill Burr. He's one of the greats. Yeah. I love uh, Jusselnik. Yeah. Chappelle is the, is the, you know, yeah. is the emperor. Yeah. So, you know, and then I'll, I'll watch a few others, but when I really want to look at the, I think the most uh, deceptive of all of them is Bill Burr. Yeah, what do you mean? Because he makes it look like he's just free associating, out of control, you know, emotionally coming apart. Yeah. It is so well done. Yeah, yeah. You don't yeah. know, you're, you're watching a genius play Mozart on his violin. No, he's a master. Yeah. And he, uh, I was very lucky, he was one of the first people I opened for when I was in my first five years of stand-up. Mm-hmm. And then we stayed in touch, and he just produced my special that's coming oh, out wow, great, on Netflix. Great. Yeah, so he's in been a huge part of my yeah, life wow. and i actually watched well, tell him his biggest fan is sitting across from i love that <laughs> well you'll appreciate I, I can't tell you what you'll appreciate okay. see you're rubbing off on me yeah. but um i think you'll appreciate that he wasn't always bill burr there was a time when he was just a great club comic mm-hmm. and when he started headlining people were kind of like really mm-hmm. a little bit and he he went from blue to purple mm-hmm. because of a compulsion mm-hmm. And because of uh, whatever the anti, mm-hmm. Yetzirah. The, yeah, is. so the, the, we, we would call that discipline. Discipline. Yeah, so the, the Yetzirah is always trying to have us not fulfill our potential. Yeah. And then it's clever, it's strong, but it's not wise. Mm. So a the way to defeat the Yetzirah. Wow, the, what you just said was incredible. It's clever, it's strong, and it's but it's not wise. It's clever and strong, but it's not wise. I just needed you to say it again because yeah, that was no, too I, good I, to I, be fast. I put a lot of work into coming up with that. That was great. Because I would meet people at the, the most clever and strong Yetzirah yeah. because it has slogans. It has speeches that are very <laughs> convincing. Yeah. Well, don't I get to say what I think? Yeah. Mm, no. <laughs> you get to say what doesn't make things worse. Wow. Wow. Well... I have a right to speak politically you have a right to speak but not with your spouse you don't have a right to speak in fact you have a duty to shut up so this is because people have all, all these like memes running in their heads that just license the most atrocious and, yes. and, and and silly behavior those examples were the yetzirah interpersonally like rubbing yeah. up on someone else yeah or i'm tired today yeah 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 that's that's for you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and don't don't i do, you know it's so funny the voice of like i was just talking about i don't drink anymore and I, but I sometimes go to bed without brushing my teeth and mm-hmm. I go, it's the same thing. Pretty much. It's liberty. It's, it's, it's close. <laughs> it's close. They're, but they're people different. laugh, you know, it's a silly idea, but I go, I'm telling you, it's no one tells me what it, to do. It's from the Yetzirah for sure. Tell me. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> brushing your tre- teeth is the Yetzirah saying, I just need something symbolic mm. that I don't have to follow the rules. That's I said, it. if that's what you need once a month for you to feel strong, take it yeah 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 a concession i'll I'll give you that and it goes okay that's all i need i said fine now shut up for a month so i get all my life however right if it says i need a drink now yeah now we're at war well my answer i used to say you work at night get drunk sober up then do your show he was was running your life he was he was running your life i was overweight and i was all these different things and it's just it's i didn't know this is the conversation i needed to have but it's like it's so it nice to like we were saying label it Mm mm-hmm and you said a partially external? Quasi-external. Quasi-external. It, because it doesn't... Once you get to a level of conscious, you realize it is not I. Mm. Right? There's an right. authentic self trying to live my life. And suddenly you realize that there's an alternative self inside of you mm. that has a contrary vision to what your life should be. Right. And it, and it says deceptive, 
I mean, it's mendacious, it's deceptive, it runs on slogans, it can be very convincing, it's strong until you wise up. Hmm. And you say, oh, you're there. Yeah. You're always awake. Right. Okay. And whatever I do in my life, I got to deal with you most of all. Okay. So that's so funny that that energy gets writ large in society when you're talking about slogans, unwise. Correct. When you start realizing that food companies or beverage company or alcohol company or, or they don't care about or you. political parties or political parties yeah, certainly. everybody slogans. runs on slogans because right. they don't want you to think because if we thought yeah we wouldn't really be- i don't think we belong to a political party if we thought i agree <laughs> you would just say of all of them this represents my interest the best but just be aware they're also doing things that are really wrong for sure and then and say and vote your conscience but don't ever assume that for any party to get elected, they got to come up with slogans. Yeah. That the slogans name the complexity of the problem because life is complex. Yeah. So I would say everything runs on slogans from the Yetzirah to politics to. Well, parents. Parents sometimes, which is why I'm against slogans. I teach a lot of parent courses. I'm in yeah. the middle of one right now yeah. that people say is life changing. I mean, people mm. told me their parenting has changed 180 degrees from my course mm. because one thing I have parents do is not think in slogans. Yeah. That's exactly so right on. So where I was thinking. Meaning, I feel like our presidents are often our parents. It's the ritualistic reenactment mm-hmm. of a trauma that's familiar to us. So you're looking at a face shape. You're looking at like a, a voice. Mm-hmm. All these things. It's like casting a movie. You're mm-hmm. casting somebody and you don't realize it looks mm-hmm. like the first girl you fell in love with. Mm-hmm. And it had nothing to do with their mm-hmm. talent. And then you, you're fucked because they stink. Mm-hmm. That hasn't happened to me. I'm just saying that could happen. Same thing with a... T- raising my daughter is so complicated and, and we stay away from slogans mm-hmm. in fact we just learned don't say maybe neurologically maybe is a very destructive word when my daughter says can we get ice cream and you say maybe I feel like you'll appreciate mm-hmm. this I just go no mm-hmm. or <laughs> or yes but yes but yes sure. but not today yeah 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 yes, oh I like that yeah I think kids. You love should teach a course on that. <laughs> should teach a course. Well, I do say no because we get ice cream on Friday. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah, so yeah. yes, but not until Friday. Yeah. They like to hear yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really good for their brains, mm. which means I'm not stopping you in your agency to fulfill your life. Yeah. Because we're in charge of them. Yeah. I really want ice cream. Yes, but not till Friday, as mm. opposed to no, right. not till Friday. Powerful. Right? So simple. Yeah. And when you think of it as. Your brain, uh, Dr. Huberman was talking about when you say maybe, it's received exactly the same as a yes. Mm-hmm. And and then, this is this tripped me out, that the brain releases and starts a, uh, I guess it would be a dopamine mm-hmm. response. Yeah, it's, it's very deceptive. So I, I, when, when I'm thinking maybe, I say, let me think about it. Let me think about let it. Me think about, I say, I'm not sure, let me think about it. Yeah, that's nice. And that, I think that really puts them in exactly where I want them to be. Yeah. So people say, you're well, in my liminal space yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm defining. And they say, well, think about it now. I said, no, I'm going to think about it later. Well, why not now? Because I'm going to think about it later. I love this. I, I, I'm i just trying to find the right... First of all, Leela's an only child. Mm-hmm. So I sort of like messing with her, <laughs> meaning I'll eat her last French fry and just mm-hmm. be like... Yeah, just, mm-hmm. Like we were playing a game last night. You you couldn't meet a more tender. That's a weird compliment to give myself. I'm just so patient and loving I can and gracious tell. and generous you're, you're, with my daughter. I'm sure you're... A- Fabulous dad. Thank you very much. And I add a little spice every once in a while, playing a game, and I and I got it before she did, and she and she was like, "Hey," and you know, when she was a little younger, maybe I would have, but now she's five, and I'll be like, "You were too slow." There you go. That's the game. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah, exactly. What's fun is dad's a rascal, and yeah, you have to exactly. Be. Yeah. So that's exactly our our yeah. Our, 
child rearing has been based on jokes and pranks. <laughs> Wait, ours. Uh, my wife and I. Yeah, okay, tell me. <laughs> jokes and pranks, jokes and pranks. Tell me what you mean. Oh. What's a joke or a prank that you do to your children? Uh, they get from the table, I hide their plate. <laughs> <laughs> this is a synchronicity because our daughter's in a Montessori school and, and they were we had a parent night where they were like, let's you know blend the home and the mm-hmm. classroom. And the teacher, uh, the older kid teacher who we haven't really, we don't know him very well yet, his name is Michael. He was like, you know, you're supposed to put your shoes in a certain place and sometimes they don't. And instead of like, you know, like that, like the the peanuts. He'll just take them and put them on top of the water cooler. Just a joke. And there is, if we're really unpacking it, I think there's a slight appropriate shaming of like, you didn't know where to put it. You know what I mean? Just just enough salt in the recipe to be like, look at your dumb shoes. They're up on the cooler now. You know what I mean? Right. Not cruel. Right. But, it, but you were too slow. It's minor. It's minor deconstructing reality. Yes. Where if you're not going to put it in the right place, we'll put it in a really nice right place. Yeah. And the kid will be able to say, that's exactly where they should be. Thank you. <laughs> and then, then you realize, oh no, yeah. this kid has upped it to a whole other level. That, I didn't even think of that. And that is the Machiavellian genius child that's like, yeah. thank you. That's where thank I'd like you. them. Thank you so much. Yeah. Shoes on the water. I got a song coming. <laughs> <laughs> you're helping me realize that Leela is very smart. I think she's high process. I think she's wonder. I think she's also a little scattered. And I, she's like dad, basically. <laughs> but we get in, uh, we get jammed up when I notice that she's unpacking logic, mm-hmm. like that water mm-hmm. thing. That didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But that's exact. When kids go, I see what we're doing, mm-hmm. and I'm okay with it. Exactly. So that, <laughs> that's great. So I think for us, part of the, one of the jobs of parenting is to constantly deconstruct reality. Yeah. And by the way, that's a big part of Jewish humor. Yeah. I mean, the I mean Yiddish humor. So yeah. Jews from other ethnic groups don't have what the Yiddish humor has, which is, of course, it's a thinning out because of our contact with the Yiddish culture is, of course, as generations go by, is um, not as strong. But Yiddish humor was very much surreptitious, deconstructive, cynical, edgy, coming from an angle. Mm. And that's one of the functions of humor. Well, that's like that dumb joke I texted you, which I got from Ramdas, or I emailed it to you. But I've told it a million times. Maybe we can use it as the example. It's okay. the rabbi is going to temple. It's Saturday. The policeman says, "Where are you going, rabbi?" He mm. says, "I don't know." Oh, right. He says, "Clearly, you're going to temple." And he goes, "I don't know." Uh-huh. He reminds me of you. Uh-huh. Yeah. He reminds me of you. I didn't realize how right on the nose I'm, I was. I'm on a much higher level than that. Yes, of course you yeah, are. Okay. But he's he's going like, I don't know the eight quadrants of the, or whatever it is. Right. And he goes, the policeman gets irate and throws the rabbi in prison. And the prison and the rabbi goes, see? Yeah. So that is a deconstruction of reality. And, and reality is funny. Yeah. Buddy, the funniest <laughs> joke is... Ready? Mm-hmm. After this, I have another podcast. Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. Uh-huh. That's nonsense. Mm-hmm. And we're all living in I, this. I actually don't know why that's funny. I thought I'll you... tell you, because I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, I see. You're right. Yeah. It's the same thing as the rabbi. Or, or I don't know. It's all sort of funny. Mm-hmm. Acting like we know what's happening and we understand it. And that's I what see. I do with my daughter. Yeah, so, yeah, so, okay. So let, let me unpack yeah, that, that joke for you. Um. If he says, where are you going? So this now the rabbi is more zen. Yeah, so which the, is why the, Ram Dass like yeah, it. Yeah, the rabbi would answer it with a question. Yeah, why are you asking? He says, 
Rabbi, where are you going? Define going. That's what, that's what the Yiddish rabbi would say. Define going. Yeah. <laughs> because now you put the cop into a state of aporia, which is, I don't know. Yeah. So if I say, what do you mean by going? I'd say moving towards that building. The cop would be stunned for a minute, <laughs> right? Yes. Which is great. Yeah. Because you're going to ask me an obvious question. Yeah. I'm going to put you into a state of unknowing. That reminds me of another one, my friend. Do you know Rob Bell? He's, he's a Vague. spiritual author. He's, yeah. he's wonderful. He tells a joke. I believe it was a, a rabbi and a centurion. And uh, the centurion says, he's walking where he shouldn't be. And the centurion says, um, who are you and what are you doing here? And the rabbi says, meet me here every day and ask me those two questions. Like, like we're off to a good start. Right. Like, let's talk. That, that seemed like another... Yeah. Kind of Yiddish joke? Yeah, that's that. I would call that an insight joke. Yeah, but Yiddish jokes always have a kind of a turn the tables. Tell me, what's one? Oh, fuck me. Here's a a very famous. Okay, I was just gonna say no pressure. It doesn't have to be good. Old old, old country. Yeah. So two Jews are walking down the street, and they out in front of the Catholic church. It says, um, um, "Any Jew who converts uh, a thousand rubles." (laughs) So they go. Okay, um, so uh, which one of us goes in? Because well, you go in, and I'll I'll wait out here and kind of yeah. watch the door. Yeah. So he goes in, comes back out, and he says, uh, "So did you get the money?" He goes, "Is that all you people think about?" That is a great joke. Is that a great joke? That is a great joke. Right. Wow! It took my breath away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't laugh. That it, is it just a, sort of like I ingested. That's a great joke. So that's an inside joke. Yeah, well, I love, you got, yeah. There's so much you have to know to understand that joke. Sure. And then, but I also appreciate what it says about identity. And as soon as you belong to another group, you like people adopt, are bad. And you even adopt, yeah, the yeah. us them. Yeah, us yeah. Them. So that, that joke is so sophisticated. Yeah, it is. So many levels. Yeah, yeah. So so Yiddish jokes. Um, I mean, the, you know the Yiddish curse. Uh, uh, may you win the lottery and spend it all on a dentist. <laughs> It's a twist. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So Yiddish humor always has that little bite yeah. at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. I mean, my, my, I, I, I certainly know a few hundred Jewish jokes. Yeah. And the authentically Jewish joke always has a little bit of a sharp. And this is why I, I was, I don't want to say impressed. What's the word? I was uh, appreciative mm-hmm. that your favorite comics. I come from the evangelical, God help me, the evangelical Christian tradition. I'm I not, can tell. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's my face. Yeah, it. <laughs> it's the official logo of the face. No, the God help me part. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but we, my tradition is like, if you liked a comedian, well, if you're going to say, especially if you're a pastor, mm-hmm. you have to say a clean one. You mm-hmm. have to. That's just, mm-hmm. that's rule number one. Mm-hmm. This is a dark statistic, but I remember hearing that like, when there'd be like a youth pastor conferences mm-hmm. in the 80s, mm-hmm. Um, and they'd all be staying in the same hotel that the porn, ordering the porn would like skyrocket. (laughs) And I hear that and I'm like, of course, it's the only time. Like the shadow isn't, Mm -hmm. to use Jacob, it's not wrestled with. It's Mm -hmm. it's not a down and out, dirty debate. Let's, well, what if God isn't omnipresent? It's not like that. Mm -hmm. It's more like, these are the things you don't question. I'm certainly not horny. I'm definitely not angry what are you fucking nuts i'm not angry Mm -hmm. and i don't like hearing people talking about their ding-dongs or whatever it is and something i always admired and i'd love to hear your take on this and now we are talking i guess about judaism Mm -hmm. but 
I admire I, I admired the earthiness of of Judaism that it was more like look at Job, look at Jonah, look mm. at look at the let's talk about it yeah. instead of the crest smile. I don't think Jesus is saying let's all pretend everything's hunky dory, mm-hmm. but I do think we turned it. Some of us turned it into the religion of polity. My homeboy Richard Rohr always says the word nice is nowhere in the New Testament. Not once mm-hmm. doesn't say nice, but we turned it into like. Mm-hmm. Be nice, mm-hmm. like nice things. Yeah, turn the other cheek, those kinds of things. Yeah. Turn the other, yeah, just kind of mm-hmm. be chill, mm-hmm. be chill. And I, looking over the fence, as it were, I'd always look at my Jewish friends and, and Jewish teachings that I appreciated. I was like, it seemed to be earthy and, and a little more in touch with, maybe more honest. I would say more honest to the human condition. Yeah. Let's put it that. It's not, it's not trying to sand down the human condition to be inoffensive. Right. So the... The Hebrew Bible fully confronts the human condition. I will say that as I've taught, for example, Job, the Garden of Eden story, there there has been a tendency to theologize these stories and make the characters saintly when I think there's actually a lot more darkness and shadows in these stories. So, sure. so that's part of what I'm doing. And many people find it upsetting. But I'm taking my cue from Talmudic literature and Jewish humor, which is look for the shadow, look for the edge. So I'm just yeah. taking it back to the Bible. Yeah. And then people ask me my interpretation of, for example, the Garden of Eden, which I call the house on Haunted Hill. And people say, well, can you justify that? I say, well, open the text. And we read the text. They say, oh, that means this, that means that. I said, how do you know that's what it means? Yeah. How about we just say what it says? Yeah. For example. Yeah, please tell me. Uh, the snake says um, uh, to Eve um, something like, uh, did God not tell you that when you eat from it, uh, you, you will die? Or, or she says, he says, so, I mean, I have my Bible here. But why yeah. can't I eat from it? And the snake says something that God said. Yeah. Okay? And God said, the snake says, no, that's not going to happen. In fact, your eyes will become open. And you, will be, you, will, you will become wise. Yeah. Okay. So, Isn't it as he is? No. Uh, something like that. We can yeah. look it up. Yeah. The snake clearly was hanging out in Genesis chapter 2. If that happened in Genesis chapter 3... The snake was present at that conversation where God said those things. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I've never. This is very Jewish, and I right? love it. I love this well, stuff. Well, it should be Jewish, except yeah, yeah. except I don't hear. I've never heard anybody teach it that way. Yeah. But it's Jewish in looking for the unseen. Right. What was uh, implied? Yeah. Yeah. Not even implied. Not implied. Because yeah. people have missed it. I've never seen one biblical commentator say, obviously the snake was there. Right. In Genesis chapter two. Right. Because he couldn't quote God. How is he quoting him? Yeah, exactly. Secondly, the snake is telling the truth because they touched the tree from and they didn't die. Wow. So the snake is telling the truth. God was not telling the truth. Yeah. Let's start there. Right. Okay. Um, So people say, oh, no, what God meant is when God said, uh, on the day you eat from it, you shall die. It says, oh, he meant they became mortal. I said, but that's not what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew says, you on die. the day you eat from it, you will die. Right. And they look at it, they go, yeah, that's what it says. I said, did it happen? No. Did right. the snake tell them it wouldn't happen? See, okay. Yes. My own rabbi goes, what, what is the word day? I want to unpack day. There you go. Well, it's called reading, but the Peshat, the, before you have to go to the metaphoric level, let's just deal with the yeah, simple level. Sure. That's how language is communicated. Yeah. So he could say day means a thousand years, but then, then what is God communicating? Mm. See, they, what they want to say is you will become mortal. But then that takes the whole edge out of the story. I mean, mm. the way you read a story is to read it with the greatest depth and the greatest quality or the greatest humor. Mm. To say, when you eat from it, you'll become mortal, 
Um, like a thousand years, a million years? Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Mm. Right? Yeah, you're going to give me a million years? <laughs> I'll become, I'll be well, wise for a million days. years or clueless yeah. forever? I'll, yeah. I'll take, I'll take wise for a million years. Oh, wow. But you see, it eviscerates the story. Yeah. But if the story is God says, on the day you eat from it, you will die. Mm. And the snake says, no, you won't. You're absolutely now, right. Now we have a story. The laws of a joke, you can't say, he means in a couple yeah, hundred let's years. Let's kill the joke. That's ruined. You just ruined. Yeah. You were at a dinner and I go, honey, you just ruined, you stepped on my punchline. Yeah. God has to say you're going to die. Yeah. For okay. the snake to be funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the story to be funny. Right? The whole thing to work. Yeah. For the whole thing to work. I agree. <clears throat> so that's how, <clears throat> that's how I read the story. Wow. I love that. The reason I went day was God being outside of time. Mm-hmm. Here I am, we're at the temple, and I'm like, I, I'm not allowed in, I'm sitting at the step. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, but if God is outside of time, meaning eternal, meaning timeless, he sees it all happening instantaneously. Oh, there's no joke there, man. Sorry. No, I agree. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> yeah, no, right? you're absolutely right. See, this is what right. everybody does with it. Yeah. Everybody says, oh, God's time. I said, but there's a joke, and it's yeah. a dark joke. Yeah. And the dark joke is God's ambushing people. Yeah. What kind of God ambushes people? Yeah. The God of Job. Yeah. Are you saying that the God of Job is hovering in the in Genesis? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. And people are horrified. And Jonah too. Uh, jo- Jonah I would put a little bit a little bit differently because mm. I think that's the author of Jonah playing with the audience. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, I I'm I always think that Jesus says people ask for a sign, and he says, the only sign I'll give you is the sign of Jonah, which I thought is pretty badass. What's the sign of Jonah? Meaning you're going to get eaten by a giant fish. Like, like uh, uh, if you, you're looking to me for like okay. so you need, a flashy you need, show. You need, you need to understand the joke there. Yeah, tell may, me. May I tell it to no, you? No, that's why I'm bringing it up. Okay, so when, when God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh and prophesy, first of all, I can't even get our own people to do what you want. Why should I go to them? Mm-hmm. Right. Help me understand that. Jonah is in not Nineveh. He's, he's in, in. He's in. It doesn't in, matter. In the land of Israel. Okay. And they say, "Go God to Nineveh says, and go prophesy." To Nineveh. Yep. Like, don't go to Jerusalem and don't go. Oh, I see. I'm failing in Israel, but you're telling me to go to another. Go to place. Iraq. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and <laughs> like, it's already not working. And, yeah. and okay. he says, "Why should I do?" He think, "Why should I do that?" So, what the what the prophet normally says at this point is. You know, I'm I'm of unclean lips. I can't do it. I'm not worthy. Jonah goes straight to Jaffa and gets on a boat. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and you think that would be rewarded though? Get, running to Jaffa, getting on a boat, being like God said it, I'm going to do it. No, he's Nineveh is that way. The boat is that way. Oh, the boat's going the other way. I miss. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm all over. Here. So he says, go to Nineveh. Go to go to yeah Israel to to Baghdad. Yeah. And he jumps on a boat. To the other Greece. One. I see. I understand the joke. Okay. Um, I'm tracking the joke. Yeah. Okay. So a storm breaks out and the sailors are, God is angry with us. And it says the sailors are pious and, and, and are God fearing. Mm. But who's down in the hold? The defiant prophet is causing the, uh, the storm. Yeah. So they're trying to figure out which one of us is causing the storm. They finally find out it's the, it's the Hebrew prophet who's hiding down like uh, under, under the yeah. bags of rice, whatever. Yeah. They pull him out. They throw him overboard, so this, the storm stops. 
Now, he, he quotes a <laughs> metaphor <laughs> from Psalms that says, oh, I am drowning in the, in, the, in, the, you know, in the depths of the sea, which is always a metaphor for the spiritually drowning person, except yeah. he's really drowning. Right. Okay. So it itself is probably a metaphor, but yeah. It's, no, it's a joke. It's a joke. <laughs> okay, so if I, if I take the metaphor of I'm drowning in my sorrows, but I'm at the bottom I, of the ocean. But it's actually happening. It's but it's a joke. actually happening. It's a joke. So he's reifying the metaphor, which is funny. Right, I see. Okay? Yes. Then a whale comes and swallows him, and we realize, okay, now we've gone to the ridiculous. Right. And so now he's writing his, his ode inside of, of, of a big fish. Right. Right? So now it's gone to, really to the ridiculous. And then God says, you got to go where I tell you to go. Spits him out. Hmm. Okay, so he goes, okay, fine. So he goes all the way to Nineveh, and he says four words. Arba'im yom Nineveh ne'epachet. Forty days Nineveh overthrown. Hmm. Not Isaiah. Chapter after chapter after chapter. Not, not Jeremiah. Yeah. These long-winded, fulminating prophets. Four words. Wow. All of Nineveh repents. <laughs> Everybody puts on sackcloth and ashes, even the cows and even the chickens. Wow. So what is you the... You understand? It's, yeah. I mean, they're making fun of penitents hmm. they dress up their cows in sackcloth and ashes and the chickens so that's a joke too you're, you're you couldn't find a better example for someone who's listening to it through the past because you're telling it to me in a new way yeah and i keep going so he was a success and you're going no it's a joke it's, it's a joke it's, it's a complete joke it's a farce no prophet says four words right and nobody nobody repents anyway right and you don't dress up your cows and chickens in sackcloth and ashes right so it's all, it's all a joke from beginning to end. It's a joke. It's not, my brain just instantly does this. Jonah suffered. And once you suffer and are baked in that kiln, you can convert people with four words. You can do God's work and quickly. You see how that? Yeah, totally. I kind of westernized yeah, it. So, yeah, so. You become the, Iron Man. No, <laughs> yeah. many, many people have this tendency. When you say Bible God, they spiritualize it. And they don't allow the Bible to be wicked and funny and surreptitious because they spiritualize everything into a kind of a, yes. kind of a white bread banality. Yeah. So I said, let it, let it be wicked. Mm. Right? Let it be clever. Let it be undermining. Mm. Okay, so I think the many parts of the stories of the Bible are profoundly undermining. Yes. Now, going disruptive. back... Disruptive. Disruptive. So now they're getting into where humor happens is in the deepest parts of the unconscious. Hmm. See, it plums you into the unconscious. It unsettles you. Like a dream. Exactly. And yeah. once you get the joke, mm. you become wiser. Mm. See, only a wise, clued-in person can get the joke, Right. Is this, I feel like I'm going to ask the wrong question. I'm not afraid to ask the yeah. wrong question, yeah. but I am protecting myself by saying, is this the wrong question? What is the joke here? How do, how do you interpret the joke of Jonah? The joke is a joke on prophecy, because prophecy is the most solemn, austere, respected institution in Israel. Mm. And so someone says, I have a joke for you about prophets. <laughs> and you, it's have a, you have a joke about a prophet? Yeah. And he tells the joke and people are screaming, oh my God, you hit every solemn trope of a prophet. Yes. Right. You undid every single one of them wow. in one little story. Wow. That, I mean, it's a brilliant burlesque. Yeah, it is a burlesque. Yeah. I, I'm, you're, wow. <laughs> Veils fall off my yeah. eyes. It's very interesting. Now, so why do we have it? Well, why not have some burlesque in the Bible? Yeah. Yeah. Why not make fun of prophets? But isn't it a shame? Look, maybe it's not a shame. It just is what it is that we turn it into, you know what Jonah has become, what Job yeah. has become. Yeah, hagiography. So that's where I find inner resistance because I'm after the truth. 
What was the word you used? The resistance that people have. Oh, or okay. hagiography, the study of saints. I see. So it's a joke. He's not a saint. He's a joke. Yeah. Right? It's, he's a prophet who's the butt of a joke. Let's not, let's not yeah. make the guy a saint. Just let's, let me just tell the joke. Right. right? So <clears throat> because of my interest as you in Jungian thought, the nature of the unconscious, the nature of humor in the unconscious, mm. and the idea that the greatest philosophers are comedians. Mm. Because comedi- a good comedian relentlessly goes to the heart of the matter, breaks it open, and we laugh because A, it's funny, and B, because we're uncomfortable, and a new truth has been revealed to us. Mm. And the, the experience is laughter and, oh crap, he just said something true that I laughed at, and now by my laughing, I know it's true, and I've just been exposed to everybody in this room that I know what the truth is. You just described Bill Burr, too. There right you go. There. Yeah. Right? Well, and Jesselnick. And Jesselnick, sure. I and Chappelle. Like, I don't agree three with guys. That one. I'm just kidding. I, I love Jesselnick as well. The reason I was sticking with Burr was I remember, um, oh man, Val, my wife, was side stage with me at Largo, and Bill was on stage, and Bill was doing a joke about Hillary Clinton. And he was like, why does she get to be the president? Because she's the wife of a president? It's like if somebody, I'm going to butcher it, but if somebody comes to fix my sink, right, and then he stops and goes, you know what, my wife's going to take over. I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. (laughs) That's fine. That's just a joke. What was crazy was Val was laughing her ass off. And it's like being naked. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's an exposed, like... Look, I can't speak for Val. Mm-hmm. I'm learning from mm-hmm. you. But I can say in that moment, I was laughing and I was like, it's interesting. I, at the very least, he exposed an unexamined endorsement that, that you know you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, he said what men are it. thinking and women won't permit men to think. There, that's, yeah, yeah, there yeah. you go. And so now she laughed. She goes, I just admitted I know what men are thinking. Because she, she said, that's I, don't, right. I don't get it. Yeah, that's right. Right. She recognized a shadow thought. There you go. So that's what jokes do. Yes. They break through the shadow. But this is my... I, I feel, sorry. Yeah, yeah they please. No, they the break shadow. through the shadow and bring us to truth. That's right. This episode is brought to us by our friends at Ritual, the makers of the best multivitamin that I have ever found, the Essential for Men, which I take every single day, as well as the best pre, post, and probiotic all-in-one called the Symbiotic Plus that I also take every day. These are pills that I never miss. I take them, I travel with them, I love the way it makes me feel ready to start my day. The biggest concern I hear about multivitamins is that you just pee it out. That's that's something I've been hearing since the 80s. It's like you take it, you just pee out like highlighter colored pee, and that's how you know it's not working. Well, Ritual has a delayed release. They fixed it. First of all, it has a minty essence, so it tastes great while you're taking it. Two, it delays release until it's in your large intestine where the uh, nutrients can actually be absorbed, which is huge. So no predator blood pee. And just anecdotally, I go to my doctor years ago. They were like, you're deficient in this, this, and this, and this. Ritual helped me fill those gaps and made a noticeable difference. Uh, I love it. I swear by it. And, you know, you can talk about fantasy football with your friends, but not so much uh, multivitamin health. So that's what I'm here for. Ritual takes the guesswork out of the vitamin game. Their multivitamin for men is based on science to help fill those gaps, as I mentioned, and uh, level up your nutrient goals. It's an all-around win. It's traceable. It's vegan-friendly. Like I said, it's a delayed release. Makes it gentle on an empty stomach. I do a lot of fasting. Doesn't disrupt your stomach, but gives you that omega-3 DHA. Gives you the uh, immune support from D3. It's incredible. It's, it's so much 
in one little thing that you can do to make a big difference in your, in your daily routine. Essential for Men is a quality multivitamin from a company you can actually trust. And get this, Ritual is offering weirdos 30% off, 30% your first month. Visit ritual.com slash weird to start Ritual, Ritual, or add Essential for Men to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash weird. All right, everybody, back to Rabbi Finley. Bring us through the shadow. See, yeah, this is my whole break the thing. Shadow. They break the grip of the shadow. I can't wait to get, yeah. tell you this. Okay, great. I can't wait to, to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so at that parenting meeting, Val and I talk a lot about uh, the world, and, and, and I guess we could just say evil. Mm-hmm. How, how for me to have this, you don't have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me to be sitting here, you're not sitting here. Just mm-hmm. basic right. stuff. Like yeah. We all take that for granted. Mm-hmm. And when you're raising a daughter or a child, you know, you watch their cartoons, there's no conflict, mm-hmm. or the conflict's very minimal. Mm-hmm. Their music is very... Da, 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 da. And there's just an incubation period of like, everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine. And there's something grotesque about that. It's truly. It's yeah. very easy to skewer that and parody that. Mm-hmm. It's I hear a lot of people, you know, Coco, Coco Melon is like a fever dream, because we know it's unnatural. Mm-hmm. It's like the Matrix, where they said, mm-hmm. we made the first Matrix mm-hmm. a utopia, but people kept rejecting it and, mm-hmm. and dying. It's, it's mm-hmm. just a throwaway line in the Matrix. Mm-hmm. So we know that's not the full truth, and, it's, and therefore it's grotesque. And we're talking about ego work, shadow work, I think. Mm-hmm. And in the meeting, the new, how many drinks do you have in a week? Mm-hmm. Your doctor says, how many drinks do you have in a week? Mm-hmm. And you lie about that, mm-hmm. or the temptation is to mm-hmm. lie is how much TV does your child watch? Mm-hmm. That's the new joke. Mm-hmm. That's the new question that we're yeah. all like, huh. Ah. Mm-hmm. So in this meeting, screen time comes up. Mm-hmm. And this woman, I was going to say, God love this woman. Mm-hmm. Fuck it, let's be yeah. wicked. Yeah. <laughs> right. right? God's tired of this woman. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah. <laughs> but let's God's be... saying, not her again. Yeah, 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 there you go. Let's not sandpaper it. Let's yeah. let the joke be the joke. Yeah. This woman is talking about how uh, she doesn't, her child was having a meltdown and and wanted to watch the screen and and but we we didn't and and it's, it's sort of a yeah. virtue signally and we didn't do it mm-hmm. and Val and I are sitting there being like we'd give Leela the iPad for sure for fucking sure absolutely and then I was unpacking it and I I don't want to miss the joke with too much analysis but okay. I was like isn't it funny that this killer be killed ego thought system have either I'm esteemed or you're mm-hmm. not esteemed. Either you're going to build up my identity or you're going to tear it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like, she's doing it there. Mm-hmm. The thing that she's protecting her child from, the screen, which might show her evil, mm-hmm. is now being alchemized, turned into evil mm-hmm. in this room where she's saying, and I'm not saying it's actually evil, I'm just saying it because I bad. would do, It's bad. It's bad. But it's, 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 it's low-grade evil. Yeah is going like, and we didn't, and I know some of you would, and therefore I win and you lose, and the ego has oh just God. slightly moved up a peg. Yeah, And I'm like, so we're even taking the things we do to protect our children from the evil, and we're using that to further our self-image yeah. Yeah. and our, and our yeah, esteem. So if we take that down to the Yetzirahara, oh, please. she's hearing about uh, the kid milk. She wants to tell, she wants a virtue signal. Yeah. Right? She wants to hit. Yeah. And, and I can't and, I can't fault that. Yeah. But yes. And, and the Yetzer Harada says, okay, listen, the kid's screaming, right? Yeah. And the kid could calm down by watching some like, puzzle on the, on the iPad, right? Yeah. yeah. But you can also virtual signal. Yeah. Now, which is more important? You're virtual signaling or your kid's suffering? Oh, interesting. And she goes, virtue? Totally. 
Totally. Let's get... <laughs> Like, it's like, do you like, want one hit of cocaine now or two yeah, tomorrow? Forget the kid. <laughs> Your kid's suffering. Ah, the kid's suffering. Who cares about the kid? We gotta go on there and virtue signal. Okay? And she's telling the joke and everything's going, the iPad lady. And she goes, and I know you would. And we go, yeah, I would, because we're not evil like you. Right? <laughs> so you really unpack this. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, so when, when people say, how when I'm doing my parenting classes, so I do I do this disruptive technique how much how many hours a day should my kid be on their screen i said as much as they want they go what i said okay so prove me wrong (laughs) i put the onus on them we're not going to sit and all virtue signal that our children ought not do what they want to do as long as they're not hurting anybody yeah so now we're now we're going to dial that back is it safe is it healthy are there other things they should be doing what's the price of conflict what do we have there's a whole other thing yeah sure but the minute you say there's a natural God-given limit on kids enjoying themselves. You're so right on. By the way, you're doing what the rabbi and the joke could have done. What do you mean by going? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Because in the same conversation, uh, someone was like, because there are studies that this and that. And I was like, and there are studies that say whiskey is good for you. Like, right. who's mm-hmm. who's funding the study? Yeah. Who, right. What is the most, like the fear-based paranoid, like a you're telling me a researcher couldn't be fear-based and paranoid and, and taking a best shot mm-hmm. at looking at the data. And, and, and you, what I'm saying is we don't know the absolute truth and you're shining a light comically yeah. on that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and what I say to people about the kid with the screens, I say, what is your overall goal of parenting? This is the foundation of my parenting class. Mm. Uh, teaches good habits, I said, among them, but mm. questionable because we don't yet know what a good habit is because if you're going to say it's good, we should have some sense of what the overall good is. Now let's get back to my question. Do you have an overall good under which all the minor goods fit? So mm. let's discuss the overall good. What are you aiming at? Mm. That's very interesting. Yeah. Do you want me to play along? Yeah, sure. Because there is like a this idea. It's so fun. Because Val and I love at the end of the Leela goes to bed and we watch a movie or something. It's yeah. fucking great. Yeah. And yet, I, so I can even judge myself. I go, aren't there better happies than, <laughs> than just that happy? No. I know that's yeah, what I'm right. saying. That's what <laughs> yeah, I feel exactly. you walking me towards. Oh, no. Yeah, right. But I think I might have a belief that there's a better happy, a richer happy that I want to force. And we're, we're not yeah, strict, right. but, but that I want to force my daughter to pursue. Mm-hmm. Like, you should never do that. Val and I shouldn't watch a movie when Leela goes to bed. We should go on a hike and uh, write a song and read Tolstoy. And we should uh, dance always. And when I heard that story, I was like, I I don't know what the data is, but when I... they Actually, there is some data. Rob Bell, he had a, a surfing accident and he was like, all he wanted to do was watch TV, and somebody explained that to him is that his theta brainwave, like there's a re- regenerative, like it's not quite asleep, it's not quite awake, but his brain was kind of like healing while he was doing that. That's exactly what a lot of television does. Right. Okay, in yeah. defense of television, yeah. folks. Yeah. No, I, my wife and I, we, we love good television. Yeah. I mean, we it, it is, for us, it's the best. Yeah. So again, Isn't it funny, because Val and I agree with you, yeah, and we're well, over here going... Well, I mean, when, when when I watched Breaking Bad the fifth time, yeah, I just felt lucky to be alive when Breaking Bad was out. I mean, when I watched The Wire for the fourth time, yeah, Sopranos for the tenth time, yeah. Um, I yeah. mean, there's some stuff out there that that I mean has hit to the heart of the human condition. With yeah, 
And what it took to get that out, the yeah. hours and hours for each scene and the writers and the and the casting and the directors. I mean, I it's, agree. Just, it, it's a monumental effort to deliver deep meaning over to the viewer. And I'm right. standing in awe of art. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Right? Right. Oh, this is good stuff. Yeah. So, so <laughs> with our kids, by the way, so when I saw these banal kind of turning minds into oatmeal cartoons, uh, I always look for something that had an edge. So when they start watching Dexter's, da- Dexter's Laboratory, you ever see that? Mm-mm. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's a nice little edgy show. Interesting. Okay. So we would look for that, and then we introduced them to the Marx Brothers. Okay. Oh, wow. And they liked it. Oh, they couldn't get enough of the Marx Brothers. Okay, I feel like Because I... the humor yeah, tell me. is physical, right? And then it's always making fun of somebody, some stodgy character. Mm. Uh, the fourth Marx Brother mm. is, is the, typically the butt of the jokes. Then you move forward, and they're always making jokes about language. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, somebody walks in and says, Groucho, glad to see you back. He says, this is my front. That's my back. Buddy, I'm, I, I don't <laughs> want to ruin the joke by over-philosophizing it, but like you're talking about matter. So, you know, like a guy moving a piano up, up a staircase is fair, yeah. and we need it. Right. We're stuck mm-hmm. in this, mm-hmm. and we're also stuck in language. Mm-hmm. And language... This is not a pipe, right? Mm-hmm. So this isn't, these are just sounds and it's not quite reality mm-hmm. and we need to laugh at it. Right. It's important. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of yeah, what we're so getting the at? The Mark brothers are deconstruct all mores. Mm. They deconstruct language. They deconstruct customs. Uh, so it's, it's a constant act in, in breaking reality part and getting a huge laugh out of it. Yeah. Now, it's, in, it's inherently pleasurable. And then you're the, I'm the kind of guy that sits back and says, why was that funny? Hmm. Let me figure this out. That's there's right. all kinds of other agendas they have. It is when you look at the agendas of the Marx Brothers, there's some deep social, political, philosophical things going on in the uh, I don't in, doubt the, it. in the Marx Brothers. Anyway, so um, as far as our kids' television, when they would sneak television, we caught them one time. We said, "What are you watching?" And they said, uh, "I'm looking." I said, is that "A police show." They said, "Yeah," because they're like eleven and nine. What is it? It's called Law and Order. I never watched it, so I said, "Let me see it." And that is Law and Order, Order Special Victims Unit. Yeah. So it says, you know, PG-13, yeah. Parent Advisory. And I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it. I think to myself, okay, you have to watch this every single day for the rest of your lives. Why? Because there are predators out there. Wow. You'll appreciate this. They right? don't, we don't teach stranger danger anymore. And I, you, I hope you like this. I say to my daughter, because I, I read it somewhere, which means Instagram. I said... um, you got to look out for tricky people. Mm-hmm. And chances are you know the tricky person. So you, only mommy and daddy can touch your body. Mm-hmm. You always, and no one can ask you to keep a secret from us. Mm-hmm. And then Leela goes, Yeah, because some people might take me away and put me in a cage. Right. There you go. And I go, What the? F-? Like, she's not watching Special Victims <laughs> Unit, but she was with it because mm-hmm. she's not as sandpapered down. I don't know. I I can't even pretend to ex- understand yeah. that. Yeah. So w- look, we've taught respect. Yeah. Um, how to be present and how to read all the signals. Yeah. So look, that's that's a lifetime of parenting. You know, three sixty awareness. Be a respectful, present kid. Watch out for the evil people. That's yeah. a, that's a lifetime of parenting. So it's, it's a lifetime for a person. But as far as uh, the video games go, mm. uh. I had this, this one parent in class was having a raging argument with this kid. And I said, what's the video game? First of all, 
mm. because there are there are some that require dexterity, skill, planning, strategy, sure. with incredible music in the background, by the way. Yeah. Better than any of the stuff you And art. Video yeah, and games art. are art. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. I'm looking for the downside. And the dad says, well, I don't know. He keeps wanting to tell me about it. And I'm going, okay, let me just revive myself. Your son is doing something he loves yeah. that has strategy and yeah. art and Did you beauty. see Gran Turismo? It's the movie about the guy who was obsessed with Gran Turismo and then he became a real race car driver. Uh, and no. it's a similar father being like, I don't understand this yeah. game. And he, like at the end of the movie, uh, you bet I, he does. The last time I got a clue, I watched um, uh, the one with Kate Blanchett, Tar, Tar, Tari. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. Remember the last scene? I haven't finished. Uh, oh my God. I got to watch it from the beginning with my wife. Watch it from the beginning. I'm not going to yeah. spoil it for yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. But it, it is one of the most ri- riveting movies I've ever watched. I was on the edge of my seat, almost wow. fainting every 20 seconds. Really? That We're going to watch it really, tonight. Oh, you just got to be ready. Yeah. That it is so sneaky. Wow. That if you're really watching it very carefully, yeah, it's just pulling you along relentlessly to your demise. Wow. So that's how I watched it. In. That's how I felt with Succession, by the way. I go, it was all leading to this. The, there was one episode in particular. I was like, it was all a long setup for, for this, this episode. Yeah. And we're all freaking out. No one's talking. We're all holding our breath. I was like... Right. These sons of bitches. Yeah. Three seasons yeah. just going like, yeah, it's a fun show about rich people. And then yeah. you're like, ah! Yeah. It's incredible. See, I, I haven't been able to watch it. I will. You're going to love it. I know. You and everybody I admire, plus you, they're all telling me I got to watch yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely So anyway, right. so when someone says video games, I'm thinking to myself, what exactly are you talking about? The fact that, it's, that, that it is kind of two-dimensional? Is that, mm. is that your problem? Mm. Like, what's, what's your animus toward it? Yeah. And then I have to unpack there. Well, it's a waste of time. I said, by what? You mean this mindless homework about the Eskimo girl mm-hmm. who overcome great challenges to get on the Eskimo squad, whatever. Yeah. And you read the same, basically the same story every year since second grade mm. about the oppressed kid. Hmm. And there's nothing subtle. They're clearly pushing some kind of agenda that we should be nice to people who don't look like us. Mm. Got that memo. Yeah. Now, what is going to make my kid deeper? Mm. Not just know to be a good person, which they actually know from the home anyway. Mm. And I'm waiting for them to teach something like Lord of the Flies. Yeah. Right? Interesting. Now, that's, you know, some, some version of that. When I was a kid, about fifth grade, I read a book called The Forgotten Door by Alexander Key. Mm-mm. Okay. A kid from another planet suddenly arrives at a small town in the, in, in the uh, Appalachia. That was interesting to watch. Hmm. A kid with superpower shows up in Appalachia. Wow. Now, you know, a black or Hispanic kid showing up in Appalachia, that's one thing. A kid with superpowers showing up in Appalachia. And the way you want to kill that kid. Yeah. The whole town eventually wants to kill the kid. Hmm. Then you have to figure that out. Wow. Okay. So, if, and now, if a, vid- if a video game can deliver over strategy depth surprises great music great yeah uh, you know then, then I, but and then people say well how long i said talk to the kid just talk to your kid say do you want to pass third grade fourth grade eighth grade yes what do you got to do to pass eighth grade i got to do this are you getting that done yes yeah are you getting enough sleep because we have to make sure that you are physically mentally morally healthy and you need sleep do you know about sleep yes so <laughs> do would we agree that you need x amount of sleep to be healthy so you for your mm. immune system mm. yes let's figure all the things you got to do yeah. This is called um, uh, uh, setting up a schedule, which is the great one of the, one of the greatest gifts you can give your kid mm. is to know that um, uh, calendar is king and clock is queen. 
you got to live inside that. That's what we started saying. It's like, why are we doing this? Because this is the time that we do it. Because this. this is the time we do it. Yeah. So let's schedule your day and let's put in as much video time as we can. I'm on your side. I want you to enjoy your life. Wow. Now, and people say, well, I haven't been doing that. I say, go to apologize to your kid. Give him this new attitude. Come back to class. Mm. They come back to class and they say, my kid was shocked. Grateful. They felt I was on their side for them to enjoy their life. I said, yeah. now you're getting the long goal of parenting. Yes, which, but. Which is, yeah. which is, when they're 20 and lost, really lost, they'll call you. Wow. That's one goal of parenting. Wow. Of course. Whoa. Okay. I'm with you, by the way, because I played Call of Duty. I'm assuming it's some game like Call of Duty or Fortnite or something like that where you're shooting people. And the, the I don't want this to sound canned, but my roommate and I became closer because of mm -hmm. it. And we were, it's basically, we were playing Capture the Flag. Mm -hmm. And I understand that it's violent and, you know, there's, there's graphics that are, mm -hmm. you know, grotesque maybe. But it was not, that's not how I remember it. <laughs> no, you remember the camaraderie. Yeah. Uh, safer than football. Safer than football. So I, I was on a panel once about violence in video games. And, you know, when you've been around violence, violence. Yeah. It's different. Nobody's watching video games in Compton. Yeah. To encourage them, right, to beat up white kids. Yeah. Right. And of all the white kids playing video games, how many are actually going out and beating people up? Yeah. There's no evidence whatsoever. If someone says, well, I want them to have the images, I say, okay, let's have a talk about that. But video games don't lead to violence, and violence doesn't come from video games. Mm. Let's just establish that, because there's been violence long before there were video games. Right. Okay, so let's, let's just figure that out. Now, what is the attraction, especially of boys, to danger? Yeah. It's genetic. Right. Because if you didn't have boys that couldn't stand up to danger, the tribe would have been annihilated. Right. So you have to have some number of people who will who will uh, obey the call of duty. Mm. And if they need <laughs> wow. to do it imaginatively, great. Right. And to your Lord of the Flies point, and to your football point, this is again, let's not sandpaper it down, let's talk about opposition. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about pain. And human depravity, and how you face human depravity. And right. So there's so many deeper questions that, um, you know, that, that in my Parenting the Soul class, if if a parent had problem with Call of Duty, I'd say you can play as much as you want. That's my that's my first thing. So we're not having an argument here. Mm. You're not bad. I'm, I'm, we're not going to play. I'm good. You're bad. I need to school you. Yeah. Because that's no way to set things up with a kid. Mm. Tell me about it. I want to understand what you love about it. Mm. Okay. And because when the kid says, "Okay, I can do that," you're developing insight. Mm. Now, insight is a gift for life. Long after you don't play Call of Duty, yeah, you will have been trained for insight. So that's actually the 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 one of the uh, kind of hooks for my class. Yeah, insight is a gift for life. Every problem you have with a child is a chance to teach insight. Mm. To say, explain to me your resistance to br to brushing your teeth. You don't have to brush your teeth. First of all, we're not going to fight about that. I want you to go inside and tell me why it's meaningful for you not to brush your teeth. Yeah. And we're back to me. Yeah. No one and, tells me what to do. Yeah, exactly. So you go inside and say, I have an oppositional part of me that needs a day off so I can do all my other stuff. Yeah. And you say, that's all you need for me to get everything else done? Yeah. Yeah. Take it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I feel like I know the answer, but let's talk about it because this is a hoot and a privilege to talk with you about this. But my daughter, first of all, I'm going to say, why do you love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? But that's been a thing. That's been a daddy-daughter thing. Mm -hmm. And it's a show 
that I, with my eyes open, was like, there's weapons, there's kicking, mm -hmm. there's punching, there's language like uh, stupid. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think of anything. Mm -hmm. Idiot might show up. Mm -hmm. Idiot actually shows up in a lot of Disney movies, you mm -hmm. wouldn't think. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a little bit of language, mm -hmm. and there's bad guys. Mm -hmm. and, I'm watching it with, again, it's, it's this precious thing to me. We're sitting there and we always kind of snuggle when we watch it and she's not a huge snuggler. Mm -hmm. So it's like a ritualistic kind of mm -hmm. like dad show. Nice. And yeah, and there's Shredder and he's covered in knives and he's a bad guy. And there's a scene where he kicks the butt of every turtle and they're, you know, it's in a cartoon way, but they're laying down there. She's like, what happened to Raphael? And I'm like, he got electrocuted. If you touch electricity, you get shocked and you'll, you might die. <laughs> but that's how we talked to her, by the way. And that's how she talks. I think she was a hunter in a past life. She's like, what's chicken? Go, right, exactly. I go, someone killed a chicken and, uh, and we eat its body. And she goes, I want to kill a chicken. That was That's how she responded. Uh -huh. okay. So I've been like in awe of her. Mm -hmm. So anyway, going to the Ninja Turtles, Val and I, again, we're new. This is our first kid. We're like, is this okay? And we've started to kind of move away from Ninja Turtles. And Leela's really going, I want to watch Ninja Turtles. Mm -hmm. If I'm picking up what you're laying down, I should talk to Leela. Like, what do we like about Ninja Turtles? Correct. Can you tell me what you like about Ninja Turtles? Exactly. And... Again, I feel like you'll appreciate this. Leela and I do this, and, and we and we fight each other, and I flip her, and I throw her. She gets hurt, and we've changed the language of when she gets hurt. I go, you got gnarled. I go, you got gnarled. And it's like it's like a good thing. Mm -hmm. She's like, I got gnarled. Yeah, It's different from getting all, hurt. All great stuff. Yeah? All great stuff. Okay. Yeah. And it seems to me, I'm going to go home to Val and be like, we need to talk to Leela about Ninja Turtles and watch Ninja Turtles yeah. with her. And does it make, does it make you scared? <laughs> Yeah, does it make you scared? No. Yeah. And yeah. if it does, why do you like feeling scared? Because that's also part of... That's what condition. I meant to tell you. We're watching Shredder kick everyone's butt. And after the scene, she goes, I kind of like Shredder. Mm -hmm. And I was like, of course you like Shredder. Yeah. The bad guy is so exciting. He's yeah. so dangerous. Yeah. He's cool. Yeah. And, you know. So that's, I mean, to go to a Jungian level, yeah. there's a, she has a fantasy of her capacity for violence. Yeah. And that's one thing was, is, you know, people have that part of them suppressed. Uh, I remember uh, when I was in rabbinical school all these years ago, I taught Holocaust for many years and I had a rabbinical student and I said, this isn't everybody. She says, it is not in me. I, that is not, has nothing to do with who I am. I said, I think it's in everybody. She says, no, it is not in me. Wow. I said, okay, so I'm taking your word for it. I hear years later that she quit, she went moved to another city and quit rabbinical school. Won't be a rabbi anymore. I thought she was a really, really great person. So I got on the phone and I said, "Why'd you quit rabbinical school?" She said, "Because you were right. I discovered there is a there's a horrible, disgusting side of me, and I am unconscious, and I didn't feel worthy to be a rabbi." Hmm. What I want to say is, now you're worthy to be a rabbi. That's ex I got chills. That's exactly right? so. I, right? I, I, yeah. I, okay. I, if there's an opening here, I couldn't yeah, wait please. to say this. Our whole thing, going back to, I started saying this before I told you the iPad violence, the, the micro violence of that. That's not even what I mean. I just mean the ego trip of it. Yeah. My whole spiritual practice these days is going, and my comedy, it's not around, it's through. Mm -hmm. I tell this story, I just started telling this story, and you'll, I think you'll appreciate this. I want to, I want to name the the, the Yetzahara. Yetzahara. Yeah. I want to. I might just say my. I, before this conversation, I might have just said my ego. Call the resistance. The resistance. Or the or the shadow. The shadow. Because your let's say your ego is comprises all of them. 
I'm with you. Okay. And sometimes when the jokes don't work, I go, if you guys aren't laughing, you need to do what's known as shadow work. And like exactly. that gets a laugh. Yeah. Uh, but so I started getting more. I've been doing stand up for 20 years plus, And now I'm drawn more to things like this. So I'm telling the story. I'm pushing Leela on the swing. And there's this little girl. And I'm playing with all the kids and, and I'm going like, my name is, what's your name? My name's Mr. Chickenhead. And everyone's laughing and we're having fun. And then this kid just starts calling me Mr. Poo Poo. And part of the joke is that I'm like, I was shocked at how much it hurt my feelings. Like there was this like rush you of got, like. You got disrespected, man. Yeah. She was disrespecting me. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's going to make this story even worse. But that is how I felt. And you also have no recourse. Yeah. Other than like, I tried all the strategies. I was like, I am Mr. Poo Poo, like owning it. Yeah. Or uh, that's that's the one I chose. I was like, sure, I'm a poo poo. But then she dug in and she just going poo 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 poo, yeah, yeah. and I was like, ha. Ah. Yeah. So then I was just like in my mind, pure shadow, just being like, well, then fuck you. Like yeah, right. I'm trying to get a party going. Yeah. And you ruined it. Yeah. This is pure shadow, and I know you're gonna love it because you've done this work. Mm-hmm. And this is what I'm trying to do in my. I'm trying to do, elevate it to art. I want to get art mm-hmm. right. Later, she's walking in front of the swings and a kid, my kid, goes flying into her. You know how kids are always walking too close to the swings? I, it was too late. Leela was out of my hand. She walked in front, bah, gets hit. And I go, there was a part of me that goes, you know, like just a little. Yeah. <laughs> well, who's the only fault? Who's Mr. Poo Poo now? Who's <laughs> you know? the only fault in what, in what you just told me? Yeah, tell me. You should have set that up. Set what up? For bumping into the kid. I should have done it? Yeah. <laughs> it was God. Buddy, <laughs> in my notes, I wrote, and I, because whether or not, the way the story actually happened, and this is artistic liberty, was that Leela had been pushed. Yeah. In the joke, I would say, and I didn't do it on purpose. Yeah. And then I go, I might have done it a little bit on purpose. Like, just a little bit of me was like, I, you know, let's, you know, let's yeah, see how this goes. When you I would do it? Yeah. I'd say, I, I, I didn't mean it. I pushed her, she knocked the kid down. I said, yeah. okay, so now I'm coming clean. I did push it. I did. I did. I did it. That's exactly yeah, right. right. You're right? exactly right. That is the form. Full respect. I go, I didn't do it. I went, uh, I because, and okay. Because the kid deserved it. <laughs> you don't call adults Mr. Poo Poo. And whoever brought her up, they didn't teach her. So you might have to, in some kind of relatively nonviolent way, teach this kid. There are boundaries, including don't disrespect adults. Because. You might. Get killed if it were a different adult. Right. Oh, interesting. You went to a different park in a different part of town? Uh, yeah, you might. Yeah, some might really get hurt. That's really interesting. Yeah. I never even thought about yeah. that. That's what I think about. Why the you can smile? Pull that, you can pull that off in West LA. Don't pull it off three miles south of here. Right. And, yeah, and it was in LA. And it wasn't a night. It was over in Griffith Park. So it would have been like different in a different area. You're right. absolutely right. Some other adult. We yeah. have knocked that kid in the next week and not thought about it twice. Right. A crazy, yeah. Well, we and someone else would say, thank you for doing that to my kid. Right. Interesting. I do want to say, my own sensitivity wants to say the kid was fine. That happens not, every parent knows that happens 9,000 times a day. Yeah, it, it does. It does. But see, for me, there's a deeper issue that when the, ki- when the kid says, poo-poo head, yeah. they're, they're saying to them, I'm going to disrespect an adult and there's nothing they can do. And they and they know that. That's what felt that. so wicked about it. Yes. I was like, and, and you see now. Now plant that seed. Yeah. Plant that seed and see if that seed grows. So I'm going to tell you something horrible. Uh, I'm picking my my kid up from uh, middle school, um, for whatever. I need to talk to the vice principal. And there's other kids sitting out. And he said, "What happened?" And the kid had a bad mouth on him. And um, Betty like really cussed out a teacher. Mm. 
And he said, um, his friend says, so what are they going to do? He's going to call my mom. What's your mom going to do? Nothing, man. I'll cuss her out too. I'll beat her ass. And then I said, okay, so this kid's going to kill somebody mm. because he's already eighth grade and he's completely unrestrained. And when he said that, I've seen some big middle schoolers do exactly that to their dad. Mm. I mean, we had a... In a neighborhood we lived in, we, we had, the kids had a friend in sixth grade. I saw him in eighth grade running down the street, jumping on top of cars. Like he would go from car hood, jump on the, 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 uh, like the top car, and just running down the street, jumping on cars and denting the hoods and the hoods over the engines. Hmm. And I'm looking at him, and I think to myself, um, look, it might be genetic. Mm. It might be sunspots. But it could be the fact that, you know, I, we knew his mom, a lovely person, but single mom, too much on her hands. And... I thought, this is a tragedy because he's going to do that to somebody yeah. who's not going to want it to happen. Right. So that's what I say to kids. These kids are a little bit, a little bit out of control. I say, listen, you need to know you can do that where you live. Mm. You do it in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's not going to end well. So you right. might want to learn to stop doing it now. I just, I just apply to their self-interest. That's really interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I appeal to their self-interest. Yeah. So this, this little girl, I mean, look, we're, we're in the realm of comedy here. And, and, but I worry for that little girl. Yeah. See, a little girl who feels free to do that. Yeah. I worry for her. Yeah. It's interesting because plant the seed. That's something you taught me. Uh, in, in insight. Yeah, insight. It's huge. Yeah. Planting the seed and kind of taking it out. Yeah. And buddy, literally just now, I've been like, right, we're not just raising our daughter for our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that's embarrassing, but I don't mind being embarrassed. Like, I'll, here's another example. My daughter punches me and I, uh, you know, again, we're just messing around. And I like that. And then when we go see the grandparents, I have to go like, and whenever she hits me or we're playing, I go, you can hit dad and don't hit anybody else. Because it's an understanding. I told you, this is the signal that means we're fighting. And then she did kick my dad. <laughs> and my dad, who grew up in a different time. And I'm so glad she didn't see it, but he gave her what I would call the death look. The uh-huh. like, don't fuck with me. <laughs> right. Like no no filtering of it for the child version. Yeah. And and I'm trying to have compassion for my dad. My dad grew up in a tougher yeah. neighborhood yeah. situation yeah. Yeah. where you couldn't let that stand. Yeah. And I'm like, it's my daughter who cares. You, you're lucky to be kicked by her. But you're, I'm seeing there's different. Yeah, and, and that's a discussion I have with your daughter. See, if I if that were my kid who had done that to you, yeah. I would say, I would have said, first of all, I'm I, Please forgive my child and please forgive me. Yeah. I said, kid, we need to talk. First of all, you're not in trouble. Yeah. You're not in trouble. I want to know what went through your head. Yeah. Where of all the things in the world you could have done, you kicked. That's what made sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or your daughter. You yeah. Kicked. Right. But going back, because oh, oh, yeah. yeah. And the kids go, oh, I don't know. I just felt like it, clearly. <laughs> but I want you to go deeper. Yeah. And you're not in trouble. Yeah. You're not in trouble. I'm not going to punish you. But you need you need to have insight to what you did because it wasn't right. This is grown ups. This is um, Louis C.K. Scandal noted had a, a great bit about shut up and eat your fucking French fries, mm-hmm. and like what a lot of grown ups aren't doing is like why it wasn't the French fries. Mm-hmm. Like you're not mad about what you. I say this all the time because I, I want to get it out as much as I can. In my marriage, some of the most helpful language that I've discovered is um, I was just embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, I don't know if I'm an archetypal man or whatever, but it's usually something threatened my sense of self mm-hmm. and well-being and my value mm-hmm. that no one intended. And then something, maybe or maybe they did, and then it comes out in this other way. 
And, and Val is a genius, a love genius. So she'll be like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And when I look in, I go, I was embarrassed. Mm-hmm. So my neighbor here, Kate, uh, I always joke about, uh, not my neighbor, my, I guess I'd say my tenant, she rents this house. I always like notice that like I get threatened when she never knows who the guest is. <laughs> she always asks. And I, I always say, um, I joke with her. I go, you're not going to know. I'm going to say Louis Black and you're going to say who? <laughs> that, that's always what happens. So I give her shit and that's fine. But I was driving down and I use my car time as, as thinking time. And I was going like, what is the underlying thought? Mm-hmm. And I uncovered if Kate doesn't understand me or Kate is undermining my value. This is like really like going like, go ahead unconscious. Tell me in the voice of a little child, what do you think? She's undermining my value. If she doesn't see me, I'm not safe. All of this stuff comes out. And as soon as you look at it, you can go, that's ridiculous. And I was a lot kind of gentler. coming out of the work. When you realize if, if if you're not recognized, let's say, um, the quality of a guest. Yeah. Right. Somebody that, that should know, which reflects on your stature. Yes, exactly. And we are, we, that's part of our core needs as a human being is to have our stature respected. Right. In fact, that's one of the greatest causes for anger and violence is to have your stature disrespected. Mm. Okay? Mm. That's exactly right. It's a core need. So if she doesn't know who's coming in, I feel my stature disrespected. <laughs> therefore, I have... Comp- completely human reaction of threatened because if you don't respect my stature now we go down to the primate level yes you're going to take my mate you're going to take my food you're going to invade my territory right yes okay i'm telling you yes right and then you realize and you say oh you yeah yes or hurrah yeah you got it in me yeah okay so now let me tell you something yes or she actually is not on this planet to watch out for my stature that's right i'm good and she's not the arbiter of my value. He's exactly right. He goes, he's insane. He goes, yeah, you're right. Okay. <laughs> he does. Yeah. But, and like an insolent child, he just needed, the shadow just needed me to look at it and acknowledge it. Uh, that's a great it. way to put it. Because yeah. that's, for me, that's, that Kabbalistically, mm. the shadow is symptomizing your brokenness and asking you to look at it so you can repair yourself. Now that, that's yeah. a deeper level. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's deep stuff. No, it is. At a, at a basic level, it's the alternative self making a making a, a play for power. I hear that, right? yes. But at a deeper level. Yes. Well, at the deeper level, the reason I'm a comedian, I, I think one of the reasons I'm a comedian is, is because I started feeling like if I'm not seen, I'm not safe mm-hmm. sort of thing. And so I go on stage. It's brilliant actually as a strategy, mm-hmm. as a psychological strategy talk mm-hmm. and do it in a funny way so they laugh and you know they heard you mm-hmm. and you kind of like get that wound kind of patched yeah, I over yeah i i but tell jokes out. all the time i populate my sermons my teachings with humor and and i realize one thing it is when you get a laugh out of somebody um you feel like you're in, you're in, you've, you're in charge of the room and you've brought pleasure and delight to everybody you've really it's a really it's a really great feeling and um uh so i then i have to look at myself Mm. And I'm saying, is it, is it really for the sake, or am I just seeking attention? And he goes, yeah, a little bit seeking attention. Right. I say, okay, how right. much? You know, I had a, uh, I had a spiritual teacher, and um, he sent me out to speak in his pl- in his stead mm. once. And I have my natural ability, and very highly trained by him. I went out to a university and gave a talk. I came back. Said, how'd it go? I said, horrible. He said, why? I said, because I, I enjoyed it too much, man. I just had, they were in the palm of my hand. Yeah. 
he said, um, here's the rule. He said, if it's, if it's ever um, less than uh, 10% for God and 9% for Mordecai, don't do it. At least a tithe. <laughs> tithe or better. Tithe or better. Yes. But if it's not 10%, at least 10% for God, then stop talking. I love this. And then he yes. said, okay. if it's ever all for God, you are in really, you're in really big trouble. Because you're lying. That's the twist. Because you're lying. Every time you tell a or joke or like a wisdom thing, I, I get the stomach flip because yeah. I'm like, I didn't see it coming. If it's 100% for God, you're fucked. Yeah, you're, you're just lying to yourself. Yes. And a pious liar. Yes. Oh, that's the worst kind of liar. That is it. Yeah. I Again, through, when I was a younger man, I would say, no, I want to save these people from a bad night. I want them to feel joy. Right. And now as I'm older, I go like, this is mutually beneficial. It's mm -hmm. okay to use my wound. Mm -hmm. I need to be seen mm -hmm. to delight. Mm -hmm. In fact, I feel like that's pretty good alchemy. Yeah. And, you know, whenever I have a particularly good night on, or, you know, Friday night or Saturday morning, I say to myself, 70% for Mordecai, 30% for God. <laughs> I'm still in the game. Still in the game. And, and by the way, I, I'll disagree with you slightly here. Go ahead. See, I think your talent, I mean, the thought, the cogitation, your acts, your your ability to, to connect to your uh, unconscious, because comedy has to go straight through. You can't cogitate on everything. You got to read yeah. the room. There's so many things going on. I mean, it's a talent. Mm. You know, not just say, a wound. It's a God-given talent. Yeah. Now you may be working with a wound, but more than anything, is talent. Mm. And as long as you're not advocating violence or some destructive behavior, there's no downside to making people laugh. Yeah. In fact. <clears throat> People like you, when I watch some of your stuff, you are the kind where a person says, why did I laugh? Mm. Right? You're like, they say, okay, I just learned something about myself. Oh, I like that. So I like, I like that kind of uh, yeah. comedy. And I, when I think to myself, I only use comedy jokes, wry comments in my teaching for the service of the point, not just to say, as an aside, here's right. a joke. Right. I've done that, by the way. Right. Because I can't stop. <laughs> That's the 70%. That's like, yeah, I'm down into it. But that goes back to the beginning of our conversation that your happiness, that's a, that's a duty. You know, and you know what? I, I said, I'm sorry last time. I just told you for jokes. sake, says Rabbi Finley. We love it when you're having fun. It was a fun yeah. joke. So right. where else are we going to hear jokes if you don't tell them to us? And then what is the underlying message of you having fun? Right? Yeah. That's a valuable, that's like saying, the underlying value of saying, what do you like about Call of Duty is let's teach you insight. But seeing a, a member of the clergy having fun mm -hmm. and being light and being present and just kind of wanting to... That's what they say to me. I thank you for that. Because yeah. they say, you're having fun. Yeah. And we're having fun. Yeah. And you don't always have to be on topic. You don't always have to be on. Yeah. Sometimes you can free associate, tell us a joke, come back, yeah. and we're all good. Well, I would attest to that being yeah. very true because that's yeah. what you're doing now. Yeah. So what, thank you. I'll, I'll throw this at you. People... Uh, always think I'm a clean comic and I'm like I say fuck all the time yeah. but that I think there's something interesting there is like the f the being fun and present and light and not ugly the word I use is ugly not dirty or clean but like are you being ugly co is communicated in a way that transcends logic meaning like I love I love clean comics and they just watched me say all these swear words and talk about sex or whatever it is and I'm like that's exactly where I'm trying to go. You know what I mean? Sure. And uh, by the way, I mean, I watch the raunchiest comics. I, I will never use a vulgar word. 
Yeah. I will never make fun of any group other than Jews. Yeah. And I will never let anybody else do it in my presence. Yeah. Now, within that, there's a lot of funny stuff. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a rich culture yeah. to be able to... And, and I, I've, I've always admired the self-deprecating and, and just the shorthand. Mm-hmm. Not every Jew, obviously, yeah. not every Jewish person. But yeah, yeah. you, got a, you yeah. got a good field. Yeah, thank you. I, have, uh, <laughs> I mean, when I, pop, when I teach my wisdom classes, I always populate it with an... You know, a, uh, anecdotes that are hilarious. Clearly, I've, I've washed them through the the, the test of anonymity. Mm. But man, there's some hilarious things that happen when you counsel people. The the cluelessness that people yeah. people events and yeah. they're, they're just uh, you know when I was teaching my Hebrew school back in the day, um, uh, I was trying to teach them wisdom through anecdotes, mm. and I'd have them on the floor laughing mm-hmm. about people like their parents. So one way I got them to behave was they say, more anecdotes, more anecdotes, more counseling, more counseling. I said, as a reward if you pay attention. Yeah. So they would pay, they would pay attention so then I could do my half hour of stand-up with the seventh grade. Right? That's great. And they, they yeah. loved it. So yeah. teaching wisdom through anecdotes and yeah. hilarious anecdotes. And then they stick with people. Yeah. People years later come to me and say, I will always remember the point you made when you taught that. Well, isn't it funny that you said plant that seed and I saw, you used your thumb and I saw your thumb pushing a seed down and I'm like, that's what I'll remember at the swings. You know what I mean? Images, stories, these things stick to us so much more. Even sitting here at the beginning of our conversation, I was like, quick Pete, Again, status, looking for me being special. Mm-hmm. Think of those interesting things you know about the Jewish faith yeah. and and say them. Yeah, right. <laughs> and who cares? The reason I can't even think of them, too, is because, like, you know, there's that. There's slogans, and really great yeah. slogans, yeah. or really great, oh, did you know this or that? But the stuff that really sticks is, like, a story. You yeah. said Lord of the Flies, and a whole feeling washed wow. over me. Wow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's crazy. You know, when, uh, so here's a good little inside thing about Jewish religion. Yeah. Um, people say, uh, we only believe in one God. Well, I'll say Jews today. Why do Jews only believe in one God? They actually don't believe in any God. Mm. But at least one is the minimum. <laughs> Dude, if I'm not going to believe in any God, that's just, I just keep it to one. Do you run into a lot of atheism? All in your... the time. Yeah. That's, that's like a... Like I, uh, Jewish values, Jewish culture. Yeah. And I say, so what, what's your culture? Yeah. Or I don't mean that many cultured people. Right. <laughs> it well in in uh, the Christian tradition you call that uh Easter Christmas Christian. Exactly. Yeah. Is Same, that is that Christian culture? I guess. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't sound like culture to me. It's not. Yeah, it's, it's barely. Else. What do you make for cuz atheism I, I forget where I learned this but it was like it's a pretty modern phenomenon. It's, yeah. yeah, the this idea. And I always think of Pendulette who is a just, I always say he's a gorgeous atheist. I, I, I love him. He's, he's really almost like a mystic, meaning mm-hmm. he's resting in the I don't know. Mm-hmm. He's not saying, he'll, he'll tell you, he's like, could there be a God? Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. I am saying there's no evidence. I don't mm-hmm. see the evidence. But he's saying my flag says I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then he explains why that's not agnosticism. Agnostics mm-hmm. believe that they don't believe it's possible He's saying whatever, yeah, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, Who cares? It is, yeah. It's boring. Yeah. We just lost the joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, so there's that. I guess what I'm, I'm putting it to you: what what you make for all the atheism? Is it suffering? Is it no? It's the Enlightenment. I mean, people rightly blasted the dogma of the church as untenable for 
first of all, the scientific revolution and then the enlightenment and so forth, it just wasn't tenable. It, yeah. it was not sustainable. Yeah. And religion was very slow on its feet. Uh, to go w where they went in the 20th century was the understanding of human consciousness. So they have Jung coming back in, mm. who makes a strong case for religion, but then you had to read Jung. Mm. Meaning that language is metaphoric. Language is imagistic. We're not reading the Bible because it is the very word of God because it is rich in an understanding of uh, the human condition and metaphors for consciousness. Mm. So people say to me, is it from God? I said, I don't know. There's people touched by God who wrote some of this stuff, but mm. that's not, I mean, I read it for a few reasons. Number one, I'm part of the people. It's our inheritance. There's been great labor and sacrifice to pass the Bible and the Talmud and all of it down. Mm -hmm. um, it's amazing. It's beautiful. It binds me to other people. We have a an ongoing conversation. So if I say to somebody, Job, we're already talking. Right. Um, if I say to someone from China and they say, what are you studying? Job, what's that? Right. The Bible, what's that? Right. So, yeah, I can do it, but I'd rather actually be someone, you know, that we're all, we're already in in the conversation. So yeah. part of I see Judaism as a coherent language, value system, text, metaphors, ways of talking, so we can conduct the business of deep, deepening and enjoying our lives. Mm. So people say, "Do you believe in God?" I say, "What exactly do you mean?" Because they usually mean something that I don't believe. Yes. Okay. So that's why I got I got to clear that up. Now, as far as evidence, see when you go to anything not empirical, for example, justice. See, if you're looking for what is the empirical evidence that the metaphysical value of justice exists, mm. empirical, because he says, I don't see any evidence for it. I don't see evidence for the existence of justice either, mm. because people are unjust. So when I say that's not right, what do I mean? Mm. Yeah. So whenever I hear people talk, well, people have a right to do that. I said, Be, you know, because I'm trained, I'm a, you know, but doctorate in religion social ethics and I did a year of law school and I studied legal theory so I, I read books such as what are rights where do rights come from mm. so when a person says well I have a right to do it I say that's so interesting would you like to talk about that <laughs> what is a right yeah and where do they come from yeah and how do you know when they you have them yeah and what does it license you to do or not do in other people see people don't think about this but ultimately um, if it's just made up in our culture, it refers to a justification for action. Mm. But if there's something metaphysical, like in the Declaration, human beings are endowed with unalienable rights. Mm. Right? I mean, they're metaphysically endowed. That's a whole other game. Hmm. So if I were talking to who's, who's the, the, uh, the, the gorgeous, yeah. yeah. So uh, if he would say, I don't see any evidence for it, I'd say, can we just forget the God thing? Because that's, that's, that's a, it's actually not worth having that conversation. Mm. Do you believe that human beings actually have rights? Mm -hmm. yeah. When we say human rights, yeah. is, that a, is that a sensical statement to you? Yeah. And in what sense is it true? I feel like it's a yes. Okay, and I'll say, okay, so what is the evidence that there's this metaphysical, because it's not empirical, mm. what is your evidence for this metaphysical thing called rights that human beings have? Mm. Right. And I would be wonder what he would say. That's interesting. You want to hear my pedestrian attempt at kind of, at, sure. I think, yeah. kind of what you're saying? is when uh, I was flying back from Montreal and, and the flight was canceled and it's a temperament thing. Maybe it's a, a fruit of the spiritual work I've done. I don't know. But I'm very good at when things are, mm -hmm. it happened. The mm -hmm. flight is canceled. I can just sit down. I Yeah, I, I'll, I won't be plagued with all the things I'm missing. 
I don't catastrophize. It is what it is, right? It is what it is. I'm very, and I, I my brain again is probably wiring genetics. Who knows? I'll just go like, oh, I just have to sit in a chair. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have my book. I have this. There's mm-hmm. coffee here. Mm-hmm. I'm with my friends. Mm-hmm. Like I just that's, that's just great. how I am. It's it's a wonderful gift. I hope my daughter has that gift. True. And then meanwhile, a, a friend of mine, uh, not a close friend, but he's up at the counter and he's he, he's banging the he's pissed mm-hmm. he's reading the riot act right. to the the gate attendant right and i'm over here going like he's mad at united and then you know you go on twitter and you tweet at united and i really just want to hear your response to this so i'll bring it in pun intended for atlantic uh i was like united doesn't exist there is no united there's this plane and this engine and we can and we like to look at patterns and go like, well, this fleet of planes statistically has more delays and this and whatever. But like, that's kind of like a show me united. Mm-hmm. We could even get weirder and be like, show me this moment. Show me this room. Mm-hmm. I was just laughing so hard. I was like, we're in this room. But to know the room, you have to kind of go around and pinch everything to get that sensory data. Mm-hmm. And I just pinched that table so I have a memory of it. But mm-hmm. now I'm pinching the counts and I'm just remembering that I pinched that and it was there. So it's like nothing is... <laughs> does any of that make sense? Totally. It's all falling apart. And we all go around going like, well, this, this room this, smells this, like this, cottage this is, this cheese. Is <laughs> one of the core questions of ontology, the theory of being. Um, and people got really stuck ever since Aristotle. So Manuel Kant comes along and talks about what's called phenomenology, which means the study of perception. Mm. Why, why in, in, in perception do things organize themselves mm. in certain ways so you can function with the world? And you come to Heidegger and so forth. So what's behind your question is a profound philosophical discipline, which is when we say united, it's a linguistic way to organize something. Mm. Okay, It's like there's a company and the charter and there's all these other people, uh, but does it have a will? Is it conscious? Right. Did it actually do something? Right. No. Yeah. It is not an independent being with a will of its own. Right. It's a it's a corporate system that came down to a person upon upon whom you can take out your anger for something that is not conscious and willful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now there might be an inefficiency somewhere, but it is not that person. Right. So to stand back and say, you know, I, I because I've studied, you know theory of being, like what is and what is not, mm. um, I would say there's no conscious entity the, with a will called United that produced this. Mm. There's a glitch somewhere, and it might be, it might be somewhat systemic, mm-hmm. but who wants to think that hard? Right? <laughs> well, this I'll is... just rather say it's United and you're at fault. Yes, right? it's... I wrote this in my book. Uh, Johnny Damon, I think, was on the Red Sox for many years. And then I happened to be at a ball game with my dad. And then Johnny Damon was on the Yankees. And everyone claps when he comes out. And I was like, something profound is happening this, here. Right. We're transcending labels. We know. It's almost like soul awareness. It's mm-hmm. like Johnny Damon as a Yankee isn't real. Mm-hmm. In the same way Johnny Damon as a Red Sox wasn't real. Mm-hmm. And we're like... We have one foot in two streams at that moment. Yeah. And I'm watching, I'm not putting them down, but I want to say beer swilling, just because it was like a, a pedestrian kind of event. Like nobody's necessarily being philosophical, but in that moment, like laughing at a joke and you don't know why, they're clapping for Johnny Damon. And it's like their love of what he was is informing. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? This is great what you're saying, because human consciousness is so philosophic 
at all times. We're yes. clapping because we admire them and he used to be when he said Yes, right? yes. That's deep. That's deep. But it's the philosopher who unpacks it. <laughs> See, people operate this level all the time. It's it's every day. Yeah. So for me, because I love thinking about these things, right? I've studied the philosophers who have said, let me try to explain this. And, I, and that's yeah. why when I say I love reading philosophy, it's like somebody else loving reading how an internal combustion engine works. Right. I want to know how things work. Right. I want to know how consciousness works. I want to know how jokes work. Yeah. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a gift right now. Please. It's called Meinung's Jungle. M e i n u n g. M e i u n g. U n g jungle. Okay. Yeah. I was gonna ask, what should I check out based on? Well, just this is just something that just, it, oh, just okay. it just occurred to me. Okay, go ahead. So I want to put this in under your Christmas tree. Okay. I can't wait. All right. It's the place where concepts that don't exist, exist. <laughs> Meinung's jungle. Yeah, Meinung. 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 Is that real? No, it's a Meinung's jungle. Somebody thought it. It just doesn't correlate with anything. Wow. But boy, did it consume our thinking. Wow. But, so they exist, but in Meinung's jungle. Yeah. Right? Oh, I like now, that. how many things do people, we think about stuff, but it doesn't exist. Yeah, it does. It exists over there. In Meinung's, Meinung's, Meinung's jungle. Meinung's jungle. <laughs> I think I got the name right. If not, it's yeah. pretty close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But once I discovered that concept, that's like the gift of a philosopher. Yeah, yeah. To name the things that we think about that have no connection with reality. Would United be in that jungle? Well, United actually is suggested because it is a corporation, it is an organization, it does do business, it does have parameters, it does have a function. So to say it's willful, that's not such a jump. Yeah, I get it. Okay. It kind of goes back to that jo- joke you told you work at United and you are United. You are part of United. Yeah. And then you're fired and now you are not part of United. <laughs> right. yeah. But if I see you on the street, I, yeah. you will still be yeah, part of United. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. right. I, there was this song, I reference it all the time. I should really look up what it is. But I think this guy was on LSD and he's in Chicago and he kept touching things and going, is Chicago, mm-hmm. yeah. is not Chicago. Right. And I'm like, that... That's philosophic, man. That's very deep. It's what it is, yeah. right? I mean, just think of framing a picture. Yeah. What it, <laughs> the art stops yeah, here. What, exactly. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> that your eye says, here. No, 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 no. It's this. It's this. Wow. Or these sounds. Yes. Craft the sounds this way. Boring, beautiful, interesting, right. deep. Just, right. you know, it's like notes and pauses. Right. Organization. Right. How does the brain do that? I know. I mean, it's just, I mean, I, I love thinking about these things. Well, the prioritization of what's important. And this goes back to Stephen Pressfield, the fact that your brain is working on your next book or whatever it might be while you're on a walk. Like you go on a walk and you come back and that problem that you had is now solved. Mm-hmm. So that let's, I mean, we could unpack this. That supposes that there's a part of your awareness that is in favor of you finishing that thing. Correct. And it, it was effortless. Thinking is hard. Going on a walk and just letting the background program fix it for you was effortless. Mm-hmm. So that sort of like seems so, it, to, yeah, has a lot of implications. Is, consciousness is so interesting. Is when I, I sometimes give myself a thought problem. Yeah. And I'll know what I think in two days. Wow. I'll, I'll propose a question and tell my soul, you work on this. Tell That's me, great. Tell me what you come up with. That's great. <laughs> That was in Mad Men. Did you watch Mad Men with your great TV? Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. I loved it. It's great. And there was a, they're talking about creativity and they go, think really hard about it. They're trying to f- come up with a slogan or something. Mm-hmm. Think really hard about it f- for two days, mm-hmm. then put it out of your mind. There you go. And I've known a lot of people that 
maybe not a lot, but they think a problem at night and they go to sleep and they wake up. That's why I told you I do death work at night. Just There's just so much to do during the day. But my unconscious is like, can we talk about this? And I'm like, yeah, I made a whole special room yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it yeah. wants to? Yeah. While I'm asleep, yeah, something I mean, has a want while I'm asleep? It's so deep, right? It's crazy. It's so deep. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We've hit more than enough. Yeah, we think we have. I feel like... Have we had enough? This was such a joy. Yeah. Am I using it right? This was a mitzvah for me. Uh, mitzvah is a duty. Okay. And, and, and it produces some good. Okay. Mitzvah means duty. Okay. Obligation. So not quite right. Uh, they've they've wanted it to mean a good deed. Yeah. But a good deed is actually good deed. Okay. So a mitzvah is like when I light candles, when my wife lights candles on Friday night. Okay. We do it because it's a mitzvah. That's a mitzvah. It's a duty that produces a good. Right. And there are times when a gift, you might say like it's a mitzvah because it was your duty. Yeah. 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 I see. I so, think that's where we started blurring yeah, the line. So you and I did a mitzvah today. Okay. We I mean, did our I mean, mitzvah. I mean, you, you have a job that you love. Yeah. And you produce good. Yeah. I think I have something good to say. Yeah. We're going to see if we can connect. That's, that's right. Somebody listening to that will say, wow, I just had a thought I never had and yeah. my life got a little bit deeper. Well, I so, want, yeah, we did a mitzvah here. I want to give this to you is that I took some MDMA. I know I'm the, I'm the one that keeps referencing these drugs. But sometimes those hard opening places, and I'm really just trying to give this to you. Okay. Because sometimes Pete can get hard on himself. And, and when I was in that state, I was like, of all the things, I'm saying this to you now, mm-hmm. of all the things you could do, mm-hmm. you share mm-hmm. and you give. And that's beautiful. Oh, thank you, man. I know that's very basic, but like when no, you really core. hear it, you it's, go, it's... wait, it's like, what I felt like on the on the experience it was like I swept the leaves away and the street was gold, and I was like, <laughs> yeah. I, I wish that for you. Yeah, I hope you, you feel thank that you. today. Thank you. It's a beautiful blessing. Thank you. Probably one of those beautiful blessings I've ever received. Oh, I really wow. appreciate it. Ah, thank you. That's thank a you. blessing yeah. to me. Yeah. Well, this is going to sound silly. We have the guests say, okay. keep it crispy. That's how okay. we sign off. All right. Keep it. Signed off. You say it. Say, keep it crispy. Keep it crispy. <laughs> is there any way to say it in Hebrew? I'd have to really think about that. Not just the words, but the intent. No, I know. A latke is crispy. (laughs) Okay, we're out of here. (laughs) Keep it as unto a latke. That's what we'll say. Keep it as unto a latke. Thank you. So the latke is Yiddish, not Hebrew. Oh, fuck. See? We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. I'm a new student. Okay. And how do I take your parenting course? Oh, it's online. Just That's, go to rabbifinley.com. Because I think everyone listening is going to look that up. Yeah, rabbifinley.com. I'm in the middle of it now, so it might be gone, but we're going to put up on Teachable or something. Okay. Uh, wisdom courses that I, again, people say are life-changing. Yeah. So I was ill for, I, had a, I got sick and I had heart, um, heart bypass surgery. I've been recovering oh, wow. for many months. So I've been off for close to a year. Yeah. So I'm just getting back now. Wow. And put Very. it very putting glad stuff, you are putting stuff back up there. That's yeah. great. Well, we're gonna. I'm gonna watch it with my wife, and I'm gonna watch Ninja Turtles. With okay, my I'll send daughter. you the link. How's that? Please send me the link. Send me the link. All right. So happy to be in touch. Right, thank thank you. you.